Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. Welcome to the Stardom Cast, your revitalized source of all things World Wonder Ring Stardom right here on the Podmania Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Rob Goodwin, and I'm not joined by Chris. Uh, Chris has decided that he wants to step away from the podcast. Um, of course, he's welcome back on the podcast whenever he wants to, you know, whether it's for a big show, pay-per-view, whatever. We are still friends, so please don't worry. I think I put it on the Twitter feed that in the divorce, I got the podcast is basically how it's worked out. Um, but I am honoured. I'm honoured to be joined by my brand new co-host, a veteran of the US indie scene for 19 years Matt Turner. Matt, how are you? Welcome to the Stardom Cast. Absolute pleasure and honor, Rob. I appreciate the uh, the AOK to put me on the podcast and to be your co-host. I'm real excited to uh, to join the team. I'm excited to talk some talk some Stardom. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, we went on hiatus during the Five Star, and it was always the idea to bring the show back. Um, but obviously, with everything that went on, the hiatus lasted a little bit longer than we anticipated. Um, we've missed a lot in the interim, but we're going to try and cover absolutely everything today. So fingers crossed, it won't go too long, but we have got a lot to fill in. But first things first, Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself to the Stardom Cast listeners. Sure, sure absolutely. I enjoy long walks on the beach. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> As you alluded to, I've been wrestling on the uh, U.S. Indies for 19 years. I was originally trained by a very nice man by the name of Johnny Glitter. Um, he was basically a manager for the WWF back in the late 80s, early 90s for like the smaller shows when they would come around like the northeastern Pennsylvania area. I didn't learn too much from him. Uh, again, he was he was just a manager, but again, very, very nice guy. So as I was getting going, that's when the Ring of Honor was getting started, and I started going to their the first few shows. And I realized you don't need to be six foot four, three hundred pounds to, you know, 
to kind of get a break in the business. So the Ring of Honor style is something that right from the get-go really intrigued me. Mm. So after going to the first four or five shows, I found out that they were doing a wrestling school trained by a certain individual you may or may not heard of by the name of CM Punk. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I, I signed up there and you had to do a tryout and I can be here all day talking about everything that happened at the Ring of Honor dojo. But the guy who really, really trained me for pro wrestling was CM Punk. I uh, had some seasoning at the school with Samoa Joe as well, a little bit from Brian Danielson, a little bit from Kenta. So, uh, and then from there, I pretty much just been all over the East Coast uh, and the Midwest doing uh, the independent wrestlings uh, for you know for the U.S. So, again, I can get into this. I can be on the podcast two hours just talking about you know where I've gone and you know who I learned to, who I learned from. Excuse me, you know, complete just very blessed to. Uh, to learn from some of the best wrestlers, past, present, and future as well. I mean, that's just that short sec. I mean, I imagine over the next few months, years, we will end up delving right into that. But one thing I'm going to ask, and this is nothing to do with stardom, it's just something I'm genuinely intrigued by. Best opponent you've faced? Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Uh, I'm going to say it's a tie between uh, Christopher Daniels, Right. And I wrestled uh, Devin Moore, who was a, I think he was a CZW heavyweight champion. The reason why I always put my match with Devin Moore over is he walked into the locker room and he looked at me and he said, we were going to a 25 minute time limit draw. That's what they wanted. Right. 20 or 25 minutes. I forget. He looked at me and he said, Matt, I know what you do. You know what I do. I'll see you out there. And we called nothing. The whole match was called in the ring. Wow. And the match, by the end of the 20 minute time, I think it was a 20 minute time limit. By the end of the 20-minute timeline, we had everybody standing, and they were chanting five more minutes. And I was like, <laughs> I don't want to go five more minutes, not because I didn't have the cardio. Believe me, when you train at the Ring of Honor Dojo and you train <laughs> under CM Punk, it is a very – he based the dojo experience off what New Japan does for their young boys. Uh, right. So it was very you, – yeah, you, you can wrestle for days without getting tired. So it's not like I was tired to go the five more minutes, but I thought we just had this masterpiece of a match. And if we put five more minutes, it would have muddied it. And uh, it didn't muddy it as much as I thought, but I always go to those two because uh, Christopher Daniels was awesome. I think we were supposed to go 12 minutes. I think we went closer to 20. And it was awesome because as we were putting together the match, and I was only wrestling three or four years, and Christopher Daniels, I mean, absolute independent wrestling legend. Oh, my God, isn't he just? Uh, and and at the, absolutely at the top of his game. But as we are putting together the match, Every now and again, I'd go back up to him like, hey, what if we change this? He's like, because of this, this, and this. And he's like, brilliant. So there was like four ideas that he had that I changed, and I gave him the reason behind, and he was all for it. And after the match was over, he told me, he said, I'm really glad that you changed those four spots because I understood what you were trying to do there, and it made more sense. So I always put the, those two as my probably my two favorite matches. But I'm like I said, I'm wrestling 19 years. I still got a lot left in the tank, so my favorite match yet is uh, yet to be had. Fantastic. I mean, it's always fascinated me about when a match is never called in the ring. Uh, sorry, it's all only called in the ring. Nothing's put together beforehand. It it fascinates me that you can create these stories without having laid anything down. It it just is always fascinating me from any promotion. Um, but sort of along the same theme of getting to know you, Matt. Um, 
we have a question from our Discord, and it's MSR, and they've started with, admittedly, I never listened to the podcast. Well, fingers crossed, MSR, you are going to start listening to the podcast. Um, but he said that I only joined because I was told there is a decent amount of Stardom fans here. Um, how long have you been watching Stardom? What are some of your favorite matches and wrestlers? Um, so, Matt, I think that's a great way for you to sort of introduce us to your Stardom fandom. So, uh, how long have you been watching, and what are some of your favorite matches and wrestlers? I've, I've been watching consistently maybe the last six or seven months, but I've been off and on for a few years. About four or five years ago when they had the giant talk of who's the best wrestler in the world, and it always came down to four people. It came down to Omega, Okada, AJ Styles, and uh, he was Daniel Bryan back then, but Bryan Danielson. Those were yeah. always the top four. And every now and again, you would hear somebody say, well, the best wrestler in the world isn't even male. It's female. And it's over in this Japanese promotion called Stardom called Io Shirai. Well, now with technology being what it is, you can just go on YouTube and Google or and just type in Io Shirai and you would just watch her have these fantastic matches with Mako Satomoro, with uh, Mayu Itani, with Kari Sane, uh, Kari Hojo, excuse me. And, you know, the list goes on and on and on. So I would, you know, I got hooked on that. I w- would watch some Mayu's matches, some of uh, Kari's matches, but it was kind of off and on for the past couple of years. But for the last maybe six or seven months, I've uh, I've really delved into the to the stardom uh, the stardom world. It's really I'm literally backed up on pretty much every wrestling promotion. I watch a lot of wrestling. I'm backed <laughs> up on every wrestling promotion because any free time I have, it's like no, I'd rather be watching stardom. I'd rather be watching stardom just because it absolutely blows me away. But as far as some of my favorite matches, just off the top of my head, the three matches with Mayu, um, the one where she wins the finally wins the red belt, where they do the white belt versus red belt. Uh, EO's match from the end of 2015, where she wins the red belt from Mako. I absolutely love that match. That match is incredible. Uh, Arissa's, where she wins the white belt versus Momo and Arissa, where she wins, uh, where she defends it against Tam, just at the mm-hmm. top of my head. And then, of course, the Siri Utami match that everyone's raving about from earlier this year and the Siri uh, Momo final from uh, the five star Grand Prix. I mean, a lot of them. Uh- fairly similar to mine to be perfectly honest i mean anyone that has listened to this podcast even once knows how much of a mayor mark i actually am um but you mentioned the the third in the trilogy of eo uh versus mayu and just the match itself the story being told the progression especially if you've watched all three matches the progression in the way mayu wrestles and the way that she attacks eo and the plan that she clearly has in place is just it it's fantastic storytelling and to me it is still the best feud that stardom have put together though the julia tam feud the orissa tam feud um hannah versus julia as well all fantastic feuds um and i'm looking forward to getting into more of the history of stardom um as we carry on um what I want to do then is we will go into everything that we've missed, which is a considerable amount considering we only went on hiatus in September. Um, but we'll go through all of that. The main premise of this episode is that we're going to talk about Tokyo Super Wars. Um, we're going to do an entire review of that show. Um, but before we start with that, we have got a little bit of news from the world of stardom. So just to begin with, um, stardom had a strategy presentation, it was called. Um, basically, 
a big overlook of the Bushy Road era from December 2019 to December 2021. And it gave us a little bit of an insight into how the company's been doing on a financial basis, what their next steps are for 2022 and beyond. And I just thought it'd be interesting just to go through a few of these points. Uh, it was documented in English on the We Are Stardom uh, Twitter page. But it says that after joining Bushy Road, the pandemic hit, obviously, but Profits have still increased two and a half times, um, with July to September 2021 being the highest uh, sort of profit uh, that they've ever had, which is phenomenal. Um, they have also said that Stardom will increase local TV broadcasting and they'll expand the entertainment area to all prefectures nationwide also adding that they plan to hold big shows in various areas in the future. That's something that I'm going to come back to in a minute. Um, but they also mentioned their social media. So in the period that we're talking, so December 19 to December 21, uh, their Twitter has increased three times. YouTube has increased 12 times. Uh, the Stardom fan club itself has increased 10 times. And subscriptions to Stardom World have tripled. So it really is a phenomenal time for stardom. And this year goes to show just how amazing this year has been. Going back to the prefectures for a second, um, there's a total of 47 in Japan. And I did a little bit of research. And this year, stardom have ran the most prefectures that they've ever run in a calendar year. They've run 23 out of 47, which is 48% of the total Japanese prefectures. So they've still got another 24 prefectures to find. So I can only assume that there are going to be a lot of stardom shows next year, uh, Matt. So really quickly, is there anything that jumps out at you from what I've just said, Matt? Well, just to, I mean, I think you hit it all right on the head there, my friend. I think that overall it's growth. I mean, any business, it's it, growth is a good thing. Whether you're up one percent or some of those numbers, you know, forty percent, uh, I think that's great. And I think one of the things that helped them was being on those those dome shows for New Japan. I think that with Bushi Road having a handle in uh, in both promotions, I think that's that's absolutely great. Especially coming off a pandemic, I mean, some of these promotions didn't survive. I mean, just eight nine hours ago, we had to say goodbye to Ring of Honor for you know, who knows how long. And obviously from, you know, what I said the past few minutes, the Ring of Honor holds a very special place in my heart. So you see some of these promotions just, just full. So seven months with COVID ramping back up. So uh, to see a promotion doing well and doing as well as they are during these last 18, 19, 20 months is absolutely phenomenal. It just goes to show you just how good the talent and the booking and the writing has been for stardom. So uh, onward and upward with them. That's all great news. Absolutely. And I just wanted to quickly, Andrew Woods in our Discord has asked, um, just as not really a question, but as a topic, I'd like to hear you talk about the language barrier. Well, everything here um, in this sort of strategy presentation, as they call it, is aimed towards the Japanese product. And you mentioned the pandemic, Matt. At the moment, and especially with the new variants that are seemingly constantly coming out, um, it makes sense to double down on the Japanese product to make it nationwide. Um, I think a national expansion will be coming 
maybe with English commentary, maybe with a slightly more friendly subscription service. But for now, I think the continued subtitles for pre-match and post-match promos will continue. But stardom are going to continue to attempt to get more of a nationwide audience as opposed to an international audience. And with the uncertainty around when Gaijin wrestlers will be able to sort of come and go freely from Japan and they'll be able to be booked on a regular basis, I think that's a wise move. Um, I can't see international travel being anything close to normal until maybe partway through next year fingers crossed so whilst we're in these uncertain times i think the language barrier to a lot of western fans will stay there um obviously this year we've had Stuart fulton providing fantastic english commentary on some of the bigger pay-per-view shows uh we're still yet to see whether that'll happen for the sumo hall show but i think i don't know what your opinion is matt but i think personally it's it's a good move to double down on your nationwide audience during these uncertain times yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, hit a home run while you're home, which obviously is what they're doing with their growth, and then try to spread out. And I wouldn't be shocked if you've been seeing it. What you've been seeing it uh, with AEW, they have had the a whole bunch of New Japan guys come in, you know, from time to time. And obviously, New Japan is owned by Bushi Road, and so is Stardom. So I wouldn't be shocked in the next six or seven months, depending on what's going on with the variants you see, maybe like a Mayu or a Momo or a Utami pop up, you know, for a, a small run over an AEW, which I think would benefit both companies huge. But for right now, with everything going on, with uh, COVID popping back up, yeah, the safety is the main key. You know, keep everything at home, and we'll just keep watching on Stardom World until, uh, you know, hopefully they uh, they come back, come over to the States, and maybe it'd be a nice little thing for you, maybe in a year or two, if they do a little uh, little England England tour. That's the dream. That is the dream. One day I will be able to see Mayu wrestle in the flesh. That that's uh, that's the dream. But we'll see. <laughs> Couple of final things just from this press conference call. Um, they've also announced that there will be a Happy New Year Stardom show, which is a twelve-hour stream, a twelve-hour special. Um, I assume it's not a wrestling show, but they've announced that Mayu's going to be there. Yutami, Julia, Tam, Starlight Kid, as well as. Guests from New Japan, including Hiroshi Tanahashi, uh, Tomoaki Homa, um, and then there'll be Yuzuki uh, Aikawa um, and lots of other stardom uh, alumni. So, catch that. I believe it's on Stard on uh, Tokyo MX, but I could be wrong. I think it'll also be streaming on their YouTube channel as well, so if you want to catch it there. Um, and then finally, they announced this, I believe, at Kawasaki Super Wars and then a little bit more at Tokyo Super Wars. Um, they're early 2022 schedule, so just for the New Year Stars Tour. Um, January 3rd, uh, January 8th and 9th in Corican Hall, and then January 22 and January 29. So that's the early New Year Stars Tour. You'll notice that there is no 11th anniversary show there yet. I imagine we will have some sort of confirmation as to where they're going to run that um, when it comes to Sumo Hall on December 29th or at the um, year-end climax, which I believe, uh, unless I'm very much mistaken, is due to take place on Christmas Day. So that'll be nice. Um, next point, unfortunately, it's a little bit of a sad one. Um, Konami has announced that she'll be taking a hiatus from wrestling following that Sumo Hall show. Um, she was absent from the company for a little while with enteritis. Um, I know that 
she ended up in hospital. I think she ended up in hospital twice. Um, and then at Tokyo Super Wars, I think she still had some sort of tube in her stomach. So clearly that's not right. Um, she's promised that her match with Julia, which has recently been confirmed as her final match before she goes off, it will not be her final match and she will be back. Um, but obviously we wish nothing but the best for Konami, especially after her fantastic UWF rules match against Suri, which we'll be talking about later. Um, I'm sure that it is um, physical well-being. I'm sure there is some, there has to be some modicum of mental well-being there as well. Um, obviously, Jungle has now gone, which means that both Hannah's best friends in stardom in Konami and Jungle are both now taking leaves from wrestling. So I hope that Konami is all right. Um, I'm gutted that she's taken leave absence, but personal and mental well-being have got to come first, Matt. Yeah, 100%, Rob. Absolutely. Uh, it's nice that she's having this. I mean, not only is she having a basically a kind of final match for a little bit, but it gets, it's against a returning Julia. So there's a lot of positives there. One, yeah, it's going to be terrible to see her leave again, especially after that fantastic UWF-style match that she had with uh, Suri, which will go over in a little bit. But it's nice to see that uh, she'll have a match with Julia. And again, the most important thing is, you know, we don't know when she's coming back. It'll be three months, four months, five months, six months. But she is coming back. And I know she's in the big heel faction over there with a weed tie. I think when she comes back, whether it's, again, three months, four months, five months, I think that Stardom would be crazy not to bring her back as a babyface because just everything that she's overcome and just how fantastic she is in the ring, I think when she comes back, I think she'll come back to a massive pop. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, final bit of news then coming out of Stardom in the last couple of weeks is that Stardom will again be at the Tokyo Dome uh, for the fifth time. Um, obviously, they were in dark matches at Wrestle Kingdom 14 and at 15, and then they've done the two Dome shows in the middle of this year, I believe in September, um, as part of the Yokohama show and I believe the Tokyo Dome show as well. But they're due to take place on the second night of Wrestle Kingdom 16. Now, the way they phrased it, and I could be wrong, but the way I've seen it, Matt, is that it's going to be on the main show. I've seen, Now, Wrestle Kingdom 16 is going to be taking place over three nights, which is ludicrous when you consider it. But they've already announced that there is a Noah sort of crossover theme on the 9th. I imagine it, it would make sense for, for an exhibition match to take place on the main card of Night 2 of Wrestle Kingdom. Have I, have I read too much into that or did you sort of think the same thing? No, I'm kind of on the same wavelength. And from when they uh, made the announcement, from what I understand is they want to have 9 to 10 matches per show. So that's you can get anywhere between 27 to 30 matches between the three shows, which, you know what? Hey, sign me up. The more wrestling, excuse me, the more good wrestling I'll take. So obviously, <laughs> obviously, New Japan, what they've been able to do these past two years with their injuries and COVID restrictions with travel, they're still one of the top promotions that's out there. But now you're going to add in some stardom matches. And then the last night you're going to do Noah versus New Japan, which you'll get some absolute dream matches. Uh, when booked right, and I'm assuming that it's going to be, you know, I don't think there's any way that anybody can really mess that up. So I think, yeah, I think you, you, they're going to need all the talent they need if they're going to book 30 matches. And I don't think you're going to see a lot of repeats other than the, I know the first night it's going to be Shingo versus Okada. 
and then the winner of that takes on Will Ospreay on night two. But other than that, I don't think you're going to see many repeated wrestlers wrestling more than once. So, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think there is going to be a, a start of match. Hopefully we have more than one on there, but we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll take what we can get. But regardless, I'll be watching all three of those nights anyway, probably 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. That's what time it usually airs over here <laughs> in my part of the world. I, I, no offense, Matt, but I have absolutely no sympathy considering AEW and WWF and whatever U.S. promotion I end up watching airs at that time in England. So unfortunately, you don't have my sympathy with that. I'm not asking for sympathy. I, I'm like a, I, I, I'm like a kid on Christmas when it comes to Wrestle Kingdom. Like the night before, I'll be having dinner with my wife and daughter. I'm like, oh, tomorrow's the most wonderful day of the year. <laughs> and my daughter looks. She's, my wife will look at me. She's just like, you're like a four year old on Christmas morning. I said, but it's Wrestle Kingdom. And then the past, don't the past two years, yeah. In the past two years, we we're able to get two days. Which it don't care, it's exhausting, but it's it's well worth it. Now we're gonna get a you know a couple day break, and then we're gonna get a day three, and then we're gonna get dream matches from Pro Wrestling Noah and New Japan. So it's like Christmas comes a week and change late. So it, to me, it's yeah, no problem. I'll wake up early all three of those days. I'm not looking for sympathy <laughs> at all. <laughs> well, at to be all, honest, no I found out recently that the Tuesday, because obviously I work in a school, the Tuesday, which is the first day, I'm on an inset day. So I'm at home. So that's tremendous. I get to watch Night One Live, which I haven't been able to do in bloody years. Uh, Wednesday the 5th, I might be at home again because we're having to test the entire school. So I could be at home again. And then the 9th is a Sunday. So I might be able to watch all three nights of Wrestle Kingdom live for the first time since Wrestle Kingdom 12, which is extremely extremely exciting um but yeah i'm very much looking forward to that noah show the crossover that they could do there is tremendous in terms of what they will do with stardom the last couple of times they've sort of they've ignored factions a little bit just to make sure that they've got their biggest talent in tag matches sort of throwaway tag matches if this is due to be on the main card you know maybe we can dare to dream that there'll be a title match in the same sort of ilk as Ring of Honor when we had Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly. Maybe. Um, but the chances are, especially if there's only one match, um, they haven't specified yet, they've just said that Stardom will be there. Um, the chances are it will just be one match and we will just have either a tag or a tag and a six-woman just to make sure that as many people can be wrestling at the Dome as is possible, which I think is the main thing, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah, absolutely. Let's move on then. Let's start looking at what the hell we have missed. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Jesus Christ, we've missed a lot since we went on hiatus. Um, where to start? I mean, me and Chris went on hiatus in September, so we went halfway through the five-star, which means that a lot of matches we didn't get to talk about. And I'm not going to test everyone's patience by going through every single night and going these were the results these were the results because that would t- we we'd have a 15 hour podcast and much as i'm sure yeah, you enjoy at- hearing our voices you don't want that yeah at least at least yeah there were so many good matches that you know maybe for another time but <laughs> maybe maybe we'll do maybe we'll do a uh maybe we'll do a whole run through as uh as a podcast one day but today is not that day um yeah, so we're going to have a look at the final, um, be- but before we do, is there any match that 
from any of the previous night, you know, 16 to night one, is there any matches you want to particularly highlight, Matt, as, you know, ones that you thought, Jesus, that's that's incredible? I thought, again, we'd be here all day. I mean, there's been so much wrestling, you know, in the past handful of months that I've watched that there's there's just there's so much. Uh, I mean, if the fans, if there's a demand for it, hey, you know, we'll 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 make the time and we'll if there's something you want to see, you want to talk about, by all means, you know, hit us up on on social media and let us know. But yeah, again, there's there's all you know, all of Mayu's matches, all of Momo's matches, all of series matches, Takumi Roja, just when she comes in from Marvelous, she's pun intended, she is marvelous. <laughs> so all her stuff, uh all Tam stuff and Starlight Kid really she, I mean, she ramped up that heel gimmick, and I think her stock rose the most out of anybody uh, in in the five star. Yeah. Would I be wrong in saying that? No, completely agree. My, there's two or three wrestlers that I've got in my head as the most improved wrestler over the year, and obviously the Stardom Cast Awards are coming back at the end of this year. But in terms of most improved, Kagama, I thought. D has done fantastically well over that tournament. Uh, Mina Shirakawa, I thought, grew fantastically um, throughout that tournament, putting on really, really good matches against the likes of Momo and against Mayu. When she wasn't being, you know, the com- sort of trying to overdo the comedy, I thought she did really, really well and improved hugely. Um, and then Starlight Kid, like you said, Starlight Kid, throughout this year, she's just, she hasn't disappointed her matches have been fantastic. I mean, we're going to talk in a little bit about her match with um, Kagame at Tokyo uh, Super Wars. Tremendous match. You know, even the double countout against Momo, even though, you know, it was a it was a double countout finish, it adds to a bigger story. And the match itself was really, really good. So I think they've done tremendously well with Starlight Kid and her booking over the last couple of, uh, the last couple of months. In terms of matches that... I would, and again, I'm going to do this quick fire because you don't want to be here for, you know, a day and a half. Um, in terms of matches that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed from the five star, um, you've got uh, Utami versus Micah from night one. That main event is still to this day one of the best limb selling matches that I've seen. Um, I thought Utami, who is low-key one of the best sellers, if not the best seller in the company, did a fantastic job. And Micah was shark-like focused on that arm. Absolutely tremendous. And then Tam versus... Oh, no, sorry, not Tam versus Star. Momo versus Mayu from night one was tremendous. Um, you mentioned Iroha, Matt, Iroha versus Tam uh, from night 10. Um, Utami versus Azumi. I could watch Azumi wrestle all day, but that her match with the uh, Utami from night 11. Um, well, I, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I just want to cut you off one second. Cause go you for it. Just jogged my mind. The Utami Azumi match. There was something they did in the beginning that literally it's, it's the smallest thing. It's the smallest thing that blew my mind. And I kept rewinding it. They locked up and Azumi started pushing Utami back a little. She switched her hand position and then whipped her off the rope. And I thought that was the smallest, coolest thing because, like, when you're putting together a match and usually you always, ah, we'll start out with some chain wrestling and then the first high spot is something whipping off the rope. They didn't do any chain wrestling. She just backed her up and then the momentum of how she switched her hand and pushed her off the rope, I literally rewound it three or four times as if it was, like, Shibata doing a head kick to uh, Ishii from the G1, you know, six or seven years ago. I was blown away and it was something so small 
that she did. And I thought, my God, there's, there's stuff going on in stardom that I've never seen in pro wrestling before. And I've been watching pro wrestling 35 years in Japan, Mexico, England, America. I watched so much wrestling and it literally blew my mind to something so small that I, I just appreciate so much. So I'm sorry. I just had to throw that in there. It's absolutely fine. She's 18 as well. I mean, I can't say enough good things about Azumi. She's just, she's absolutely tremendous. And I mean, there's only a certain amount of time before we see her go for one of the big belts, surely. I, you know, <laughs> you will learn this about me, Matt. My predictions are very rarely, if ever, right, um, as proved by me predicting that the five-star would be won by Julia and the tag league would be won by Blue Marin. So, you know, I am shocking at predictions, but I do predict that Azumi is going to be going for that white belt, maybe even that red belt, um, before... I'm going to go before July. I'm going to state my non-existent reputation on it that that is going to happen. We're going to see Azumi in that big title picture at some point. I don't think she'll win, but she is definitely deserving of a shot. Um, Let's move on then to the five-star final itself, which was night 17 from September 25th, 2021 from Otaward City Gymnasium, Tokyo, with an attendance of 1,500 39. Now, I'm not going to go through every single match because, again, that will be folly. Um, but the series of matches that led up to um, sort of the final, I do want to quickly talk about. So the first match I want to talk about, Matt, is uh, the red block match with Mayu Iwatani defeating Starlight Kid with the two-step dragon suplex in 6 minutes 19 seconds. The reason I want to talk about this is, are you surprised that they were only given six minutes? Do you think the six minutes worked with the story they were trying to tell? Um, what did you think of this match? This goes to show you that you do not need 10, 12, 15 minutes to tell a story. Now, Grant, do I want to see Starlight Kid and Mayu wrestle 20 minutes? Yes, absolutely. But I remember when I was reading the results and everyone said this match is seven, eight minutes, you know, what have you. And it was really good. And I was like, how are they going to jam pack all that stuff in there and tell a story? And they did it, which just goes to show you how good the two of them are. And I think everybody pegged Starlight Kid, you know, winning early on because it would knock Mayu out of the tournament and mm -hmm. then it would continue their feud. But it was the complete opposite. So I think there's still so much story to tell. Obviously, even just by the end where Mayu like – was trying to shake her hand because she's I she just it just breaks her heart that you know her big protege she you know she left and she went to the big bad Oida tie and she just please shake my hand and she wouldn't do it and then she gave her a hug and then basically kind of pushed her down and you just know just because the match was so short but yet so good there's so much more that we're gonna see for the two of them and I think Stardom is doing good is doing a really good job with their long term storytelling and I I think you'll see that feud play back out probably sometime here in the uh, spring of next year. Yeah, absolutely. Fast-paced, furious. It's the first time these two have faced off as well. So the last thing we want to do is effectively spaff up this feud, you know, up the wall. We want it to be carrying on. And as you mentioned before, the added stat that Starlight, the whole reason that she didn't go back to Stars after that Gauntlet match is because she wanted to overtake Mayu. She didn't want to be in Mayu's shadow for, you know, the next however many years, which is how she felt she was getting. She wanted to do her own thing. And the added stat that not only did Mayu stop Starlight from winning the block, but in the process, she also overtook her on a tiebreaker. So she ended up finishing above Starlight, which shows that Starlight, no matter what she's done, 
in the process in Oeratai, she's still not on Mayu's level. And that like t- kills her. Kind of like kind of like Tam as well. Kind of like Tam as well. The two draws she's had with Mayu this this uh, this past year, she just, you know, she even put that in that uh, promo where they had the 30 minute draw a few months ago. She's like, I just can't, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I just can't get there. And there's so many different stories that stardom can tell that literally has us watching. Hence, hence their growth. Not only is the fantastic wrestlers, but it's the fantastic stories that they're telling uh, and the programs that they're doing. So obviously it's, it's working and we're all intrigued to, to see how everything plays out. I'm not going to talk about Azumi versus Ruwaka because despite the fact that Ruwaka has been lumbered with a statistic, I don't know if you know this, um, She's looking. She was looking to avoid being the first person since Hiromi Mamura in 2016 to finish the tournament without a single point. But unfortunately, she did lose to Azumi, and therefore is the first person since 2016 to finish bottom of the block with zero points. But I thought her growth as well, she was someone we didn't mention. I thought her growth throughout the tournament was really, really good. She's something completely different to the other children on the roster, completely different to Rina, Hina, and Hanan. Um, she's sort of in that Natsukatora ilk, that bruiser ilk which i think works for her definitely and i think that improved throughout the tournament i mean the match you can take or leave it's you know it's a standard singles match but i thought here i thought she did particularly well what i do want to go to is the next match which was another blue block match which saw yunagi sayaka on nine points defeating sayaka matani with the taji data in 11 minutes and 53 seconds which eliminated saya from the tournament as she was sitting joint top at this point with suri what is your opinion of yunagi matt as as a whole how do you think she's grown do you think she's been pushed too much what is your overall opinion as she seems to be another divisive figure on that roster at the moment. You kind of touched on a little bit with, uh, with the other cosmic angel, Nina. Uh, she improved so much during the tournament and you saw Yunagi doing it as well. I mean, it seemed once the cosmic angels were formed, you know, the, the three Tam, Yunagi and uh, Mina, it seemed like it was kind of just Tam and her friends, but you've seen these, the uh, Yunagi and Mina grow so much, so much, uh, a little over pushed. I mean, maybe who's to say, I mean, that's like one of the worst things Stardom is doing. So be it. But I thought she had phenomenal growth in, the, in here. And she's only going to get better working with alongside in six-man tag matches, as we've seen, um, you know, with them being the uh, artists of Stardom, six-man tag uh, champions. She's only going to get better working alongside with Tam. Or, as we saw a few months ago, working against Tam. You know, working against Mayu, working against Takumi Oroha. I thought their match that they had at the five-star was really, you know, took me by surprise of how well it was. She's only going to get better because she's literally working with the best women uh, wrestling company in the world. So uh, just watching her progression over the last five or six months has been has been a breath of fresh air because it's always nice to get, you know, you can rotate fresh people into the mid card or the upper card or, or whatnot, what, whatnot. And this match she had with Saya, Saya is another one. We talked about Starlight Kid as far as, you know, almost main, main event level, level talent, excuse me, main event level talent. And Saya's right there as well. And again, she's working alongside the best with uh, Queen's Quest as well. So I thought this match was fantastic. I think what they're doing with Yunagi is, is terrific. I think that you may see her go pretty far in the Cinderella tournament next year. I'd be surprised if she's not in the final. I'd be incredibly surprised. Now, I, I'm, I'm on record as saying that I'm not a Yunagi fan. I, I've just... I felt like she was pushed too much too soon, and that really damaged my opinion of her. Um, Whether that's fair or not, I don't know. 
But this match, it was entertaining, told a good story. Um, her quest for respect and redemption, because these two faced off in Yokohama. You know, you spoke about how it was time and friends. You know, that was quite literally what Queen's Quest was saying. Um, and Saya beat her. So for Yunagi to come out of this, having beaten Saya and effectively obliterated her chances of making the five-star final, I thought was, again, good uh, long-form storytelling. It also goes to, you know, nine points for Yunagi. You think she beat Saya Kamatani, she beat Momo, and she beat Azumi. They they are really quite high-profile scalps, especially that of Tam, and we'll see where that goes later on in the show. But they clearly have a lot of faith in her. Now, do I think that faith is misplaced? There's a moment that we are going to be talking about later on in the show where I finally see the star potential in Yunagi. And we'll talk about that later on. I don't want to dwell on it too much now. But I do agree with you, Matt, that she did have a good tournament. She did have good matches. She had some clangers, but for the most part, there was a higher percentage of good matches in this tournament for Yanagi than there was poor matches. Um, moving on then, um, we had... I don't want to talk really talk about this one either, though this was a good match. Again, a blue block match with Micah defeating Konami, which again eliminated Konami from the block. That left our two sort of block main events, if you will. The first one was Suri and Takumi Aroha ending in a 20-minute time limit draw. Now, we laugh on this podcast about how many time limit draws uh, start and book, and it's almost like they have a raffle at the start of the show to decide which match goes to the time limit draw. This one makes sense, though, for me. I, I thought this was a great match, Matt. Yeah, I agree, and I understand, like, like I said, I just got to start my handful of months ago, and there's a lot of time limit draws, and some of them that make sense. And I understand, because a lot of wrestling over here in the States, they really don't do time limit draws. Now, we saw a great one on AEW with Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson, uh, but yeah, this one this one made sense, and I kind of figured going into it that this was going to go to time limit draw, because I kind of saw where they were going with the finals. Mm-hmm. And But yeah, this, this was great, and I know they do a lot of countouts as well. Uh, again, if it makes sense, I, I don't care what it is, as long as it makes sense. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but this one was, was one that definitely made sense. And these are two two people that are two ladies that have similar styles, very hard-hitting, very submission-based, uh, very good selling. There was a great spot where the two of them were putting each other in knee bars and just kept going back and forth. And then finally, they couldn't figure out what to do for the counter, so they just both grabbed the ropes. I thought it was something, a spot that was so simple, but made so much sense. Absolutely. This is easily one of the matches of the tournament for me. Uh, brutal strikes, emotion, desperation, and that genuine big match feel. The big thing for me here was the progression in Suri throughout this match. You've had a starting, this cool, calm, collected character, this, you know, this person violently taking apart Iroha. And then as the match progressed, you could see this dream slipping away from Suri, and you could see her progressively getting more and more desperate and it becomes less about the brutal strikes and the careful dissection of a limb to just desperate pinfall attempts. And that's fantastic. The fact that you've got this woman, this powerful woman who's pretty much powered her way through this tournament, you know, laying out these devastated screams as the bell rings because she thinks that 
this moment that she almost had. Because don't forget, the big thing here is that she already wants to win that red belt to cement her legacy, to prove that she is as strong as her mother. It's a powerful incentive. So to see that slip away, potentially slip away because she couldn't get the job done, it's such a subtle thing, but I loved it. And that's what really tipped this over the edge as one of the matches of the tournament for me. Really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. And not only that, but the fact that she is relying on Utami to lose to make it through to the final, fantastic storytelling. Fantastic storytelling. Yeah. Her big rival. Her big rival. So it's just, it's amazing. Yeah, Siri does so great with the facial selling, not only from the defensive, but the offensive, if that makes sense. It's one thing if you hurt your knee and you're in a certain cell position, you can see the emotion in the face, but then when you fire back up, and you just see that you're fighting through the pain. You're fighting through the pain because you want this win so much. And then not only that, but then if I win this match, I still got to go through another match to win the final. Just brilliant storytelling, brilliant facial selling uh, from Siri all, all, all around. I mean, even throughout this whole tournament, especially on this final night, it really was her finest hour. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, we move on then to what would be the final match um, in blue block, effectively the block final, um, with Tam Nakano defeating Yutami Hayashita in uh, 14 minutes and 32 seconds with the Twilight Dream, which eliminated Yutami and put Siori through to the block, uh, sorry, to the five star final against the red block winner, Momo Watanabe. This was another fantastic match, Matt. We had a series of maybe three matches where all of them just seem to get better and better and better. They, fantastic match again. Yeah, I think this was one of the best overall wrestling shows of the year. I mean, this this from top to bottom was great. And again, we're only covering kind of the back end of it. But yeah, this was, and this is, again, brilliant booking. If you have your white belt champion and your red belt champion, essentially your two most important champions in the same block, you're going to book them in the final match, um, you know, other than obviously the finals, in the the final match of your block, so, because it's your basically your your two biggest stars, your two most powerful people. So I thought that was brilliant booking by having it going on last, obviously before the final, and the match was was incredible. I mean, just the way that both these ladies have been wrestling all year, and even Tam, just as good as she is, she just keeps getting better. Utami as well. I mean, the two of them, and and not only that, but like their entrances when they come out, especially Utami with the with the Queen's Quest flag and her robe and the mask and the rose she just is a star before she grabs your attention before she even gets in the ring and that's when it even gets even better and tam is on the same wave wavelength i can watch these two wrestle a, a broomstick and i would i'd pay to see it but yeah th- this match was was fantastic and this even gives you know if tam drops that white belt sometime down the line she could say well at the five star i pinned the champion so you know this gives Tam some clout in the near future to uh, to challenge for uh, for the World of Stardom title. So again, great booking because there's so many different avenues that they can do just to uh, keep the the top of the card fresh. Absolutely, and the fact that Tam's selling is at times a little inconsistent, but here it was unbelievable and had the crowd invested from the word go. It. it it was fantastic. And the fact that Tam reintroduced the Violet Screwdriver to illustrate just how much she needed to win, she wanted to win, um, just fantastic. The fact that Utami losing sent Suri through as well, as though these two are intrinsically linked this year, I just love that. 
I love that. I thought that was really, really good. Easily Tam's match of the tournament. Um, possibly Utami's as well, though, as I stated at the top of the podcast. I don't think she's had a particularly bad match all year. She's worker of the year for me. Hands down. Hands down. Um, this takes us to the five-star Grand Prix final, uh, which saw Suri, the blue block winner, defeat Momo Watanabe, the red block winner, with the Ruin or the Ruen? Ruin. Let's go with Ruen. Why not? Um, in 18 minutes and 54 seconds. Right off the bat, Matt, this got full marks for me. This is one of two matches all year that got five stars. I loved this match. I'm a big fan of the little details when it comes to wrestling. And what I liked is Siri just had this 20-minute banger mm-hmm. with Takumi. And they're doing these backstage interviews literally as they're in gorilla position, getting ready to go out. And there's Julia, her stablemate, probably the person that probably would have won the five-star had she not got injured. I mean, that's speculation for another day. But there she is icing her down just as she's supposed to go out. And she just wrestled one killer, and then she's going to wrestle another killer. And here we go. This was not only Matt, it's, this was probably either this or the Momo match with Mayu was match of the tournament, and then probably even match of the year, the Siri Utami match. Probably I can put all three of those, those three matches Utami, Siri, uh, double knockout match, the Momo, Mayu match from, uh, from earlier in the tournament. And then the final, I can probably, if you ask me any other day, what's my favorite match from Stardom this year, you get, you get three different answers. You know, you ask me on a Monday, it'd be this one, Tuesday, it'd be this one, Wednesday, it'd be this one. And the fact that Siri had a 20 minute match, just 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes prior, and they were able to go this long. And not only that, but like these kicks that these two are throwing, not only that, but coming from a, a personal standpoint, from someone who's been wrestling a long time, that throws a lot of kicks that... When you're kicking somebody, they have to feed a proper way. Your opponent has to be a proper way for two reasons. One, you want to keep them safe. And two, you want it to look and sound as hard-hitting as possible. And the way that Momo and Siri feed for each other's kicks, and they're kicking back and forth over and over again and just feed, kick, feed, kick, feed, kick, feed, kick. You're like, my God, can this match get any better? And then at the end, Siri just literally empties the tank. She doesn't have much left. She just goes, you know, back and forth and then finally is able to hit a couple of buzzsaw kicks and then her, 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 her finisher dropping uh, Momo right on the head. Absolutely. Yeah, this was if, you know, if I'm doing the Wrestling Observer, you know, five star rating, uh, which is huge over here in the States. This is, you know, five stars, five and a quarter, whatever. This was an absolutely perfectly brilliantly wrestled uh, hard hitting match from the two of them. The fact that you mentioned the little details and you mentioned the interview in, you know, effectively gorilla position. Siori comes to the ring without her robe, doing absolutely nothing to disguise the emotion she's feeling. She knows how big this match is. There's no pomp. There's no circumstance. She knows that she is behind the eight ball from the very get-go in this match because Momo wrestled on the pre-show in a three-way match. So she's she's effectively not wrestled, whereas Siori is off the back of this time-limit draw against someone who was literally beaten her to pill- from pillar to post for 20 minutes. And then that's compounded by the fact that Momo comes into this with a chip on her shoulder by the fact that Suri alluded to Momo not being herself right at the start of the year in January uh, when they battled for the SWA belt and finished her off by breaking out this brand new submission move in Gembu. And you know Momo hasn't forgotten that. 
you know that Momo is going to make sure that she destroys Suri for that. And we see this partway through the match where rather than beating her, Momo wants to beat Suri at her own game as the with the strikes, grinding down the resilience of Suri as though to teach her a lesson, which is fantastic. You watch Suri, who is running on sheer emotion and fatigue at this point, quite literally running on empty and watching Momo vindictively trying to take this dream from her. Um, and then eventually the adrenaline kicks in and Suri eventually manages to get the win and then bursts into tears with this exhausted jubilation from the very moment that count of three falls. It's You talk about peaks and troughs in wrestling. You talk about the perfect match sort of taking you on this roller coaster of emotions. And even though once this was the final, you could sort of see where it was going. You knew that Suri was going to win. You didn't care in this match. You did not care because you were so caught up in the emotion of this match. The fact that yet again, Momo Watanabe has bottled the big stage, you know, and let's face it, that's going to be playing into a storyline we're going to be talking about shortly. And the fact that Suri, all of this stuff has just sort of erupted from her as as she wins. Perfect storytelling. And overall, like I said before, one of the two matches this year that I've I've given full marks to. A fantastic, fantastic match, Matt. What's the other one? Is it the uh, Utami? It is Utami and Suri. There are a couple that have come very, very close. Um, Maya versus Yoshiko from Budokan came really close. Julie versus Starlight came really close. And then there's another match, actually, that we're going to be talking about shortly that came really close as well. But we'll uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, so that was the five star. So from this point, Suri is actually carrying around a physical briefcase for the first time. Uh, we haven't seen that in Stardom before. Um, and she will defend that alongside her SWA belt um, for the remainder of the year until Sumo Hall. I'm not going to lie, Matt, and I, I don't know how you feel about this. I'm not a huge fan of the whole concept of defending your sort of title win because I just it undermines the cha- the the tournament a little bit, and especially with Suri holding the title as well. It did telegraph some of those results. Now, don't get me wrong, her match with Azumi was fantastic. Her match with Konami was fantastic. But they were never going to win. You know, you're not going to have your main event of Sumo Hall as, you know, Saki Kashima versus Utami. You know, irrelevant of how good Saki is in ring. Did that take away from those matches a little bit for you? Or are you okay with them? I don't like it in New Japan, to be honest. When, you know, you've got the destruction shows, those B shows where you know for a fact that whoever is holding the briefcase isn't going to drop it, apart from if you go to Ibushi. But I don't know. It, I don't know if it's just me or if it's something that's shared by other people. What's your opinion on that? I totally see your point of view. Obviously, they're taking this completely off New Japan. Against mm-hmm. the, again, again, the Bushi Road thing. And maybe it works in New Japan. Maybe they've noticed, hey, there isn't. 
We've been able to get more ticket sales if Okada defends his briefcase against, you know, Tamatanga. And again, they never pulled the trigger on it up until last year where they did the one with Jay White and it was completely uh, took everybody off guard. Again, I can, I'm a pretty easygoing wrestling fan. If you just give me a good wrestling match, again, I know that she's not losing this briefcase. Mm-hmm. I know that Okada wasn't going to lose you know, the briefcase to the, the one match that he lost during the, during the G1. But at the same time, it's like, hey, if I go to a steakhouse and I order steak and they're going to bring me steak, that's what I wanted. So it's, there, it's no surprise. So it's no surprise that there's, no, there's next to no chance for this person to lose their title shot. But I'm fine with that. If I'm fine with that where I'm 99% sure I know the result, just give me a good wrestling match. Not only that, but then you have some of these undercard people that you're bringing back up you know, into the main event. Like, ooh, maybe you know, this person has a chance to win the briefcase. And then they have a good 15, 16, 17-minute match with Cherry. And then it's like, oh, maybe that's somebody that we can push uh, into the new year. I completely see a lot of people have the same sentiment you do, uh, Rob. They do not like the defending of the briefcase. Yeah, because it does undermine your G1 win. It does undermine your, you know, five-star win. But for me, if I get good wrestling matches out of it, I'm fine. Fair enough. Can't say fairer than that. Um, We move on then. So the next tournament and the last tournament of the year, save for the Osaka Super Wars, which we'll talk about later, um, is the Goddess of Stardom Tag League. Now, unlike the Five Star, we're not going to go into any great detail with this. I just sort of wanted to run through a couple of the matches that um, really stuck out to me on a quality level. um, And then we'll talk about sort of where everyone sat in the blocks and then we'll talk about the actual final match. But that's really it. And again, Matt, you might have found some matches um, that were a little bit better or a little bit worse. But for me personally, ones that stood out um, from the uh, October 30th, uh, Blue Marin, which was May Wiwatani and Rin Kanakura, uh, defeating Ponytail and Bushida, which was Shuri and Micah, um, was really, really good, that main event. Um, and then we also had uh, on night four, which was November 4th, uh, the time limit draw between Aphrodite and... Uh, Fukuoka Double Crazy, Hazuki and Kogama. That time limit draw was a really, really, really good match. Um, And then a match that wasn't actually part of the tournament, but was actually probably match of this run, was just a rudimentary tag match between FWC, Kogama and Hazuki, and Queen's Quest, Utami and Azumi, which was fantastic, November 6th. Um, It was actually just a fantastic tag team match. Um, Aside from those, Matt, we had the final, which was uh, held at Corican Hall with um, 725 people, the highest Corican attendance that Stardom managed to pull in this year on November 14th. So Red Block, we had Aphrodite defeating Himipoi, um with the German suplex in 954, which uh, eliminated Himika and Natsupoi. Um, but also we have that overarching storyline of the lack of cohesion and the tension between Himika and Natsupoi. What have you thought about that as the tournament's gone on? Anytime you have a tag team, you're going to have some dissension from here and there. And not only did they do a great job with this throughout the tournament, but Stardom does a great job on their YouTube as well, where they're showing like the backstage stuff. I mean, they're always push, pushing out content, and it just adds to the storyline. And it's and if you subscribe to the YouTube channel, it literally comes up like a text message. You can just press it and watch the two- or three-minute video. So 
I thought they did a really good job with uh, with the dissension between the two of them. It's not only that because not only they're going through the tournament and they're getting close towards the final, but also they're two thirds of the, uh, the the six man six uh, lady tag team champions, the artists of Stardom Championship. So it's like you wonder how that's gonna gonna play into uh, into into place there. So it's always nice to tease a little dissension or have a little dissension because then it's like, are they gonna have a matchup? Is this person gonna go to another team? Is this person gonna get kicked out or? Terry and Julia, who are the, basically the leaders of DDM, are they going to get involved or try to make some peace? So it's always interesting. If Again, if it's done right, and, and anything that's done well, it can be interesting. And I think they did a good job playing up the fact that uh, there were some misfires uh, between the two of them in the tournament that, that was costing the matches. Absolutely. And it actually comes to sort of, it comes to bear later on. Um in our podcast, which we'll talk about in a minute. This actually forced Red Block to go to a tiebreaker match between the two people who were top on seven points, Hazuki and Kogama and Aphrodite. Uh, Hazuki and Kogama coming out on top to be the first team to the final. Um, we then had two more matches in uh, Red Block. We had um, Coco Kaido, which was Starlight and Ruwaka, defeating Ponytail and Bushido, which was Micah and Suri, via disqualification, which left Mikey and Mikey, Micah and Suri at seven points, which effectively meant that the winner of Momo AZ, Momo and um, Azumi, last year's winners, um, and Blue Marin, Mayu and Rin Katakura, the winner of that match would go through, and that ended up being Momo AZ. Um, who, again, as a tag team, aside from maybe Azumi, uh, Azumi and Utami are, for me, oh, and ALK, obviously the tag champs, are my favorite tag team to watch. Their, their cohesion, their teamwork is tremendous, absolutely tremendous, Matt. Yeah, this was the first time I really seen them team up, and then uh, actually the, it was the first round match where they had the time limit draw, um, the first day match where they had the time limit draw with Starlight Kid and Ruaka. And then you wonder how good that match really would have been because I believe Kunami was supposed to be Starlight Kid's tag partner. Do I have that information correct? Correct, yes. And then you wonder how good this tournament would have been because I'm assuming had Julian not got hurt, Julian Suri would have been a team as well considering the fact of the tag champ. So this whole tournament was really good. And it could have, think about it, could have been even better. But this was, uh, like I said a couple seconds ago, this was the first time I saw Momo and Azumi team up, and I was blown away of how good they team up. And then I went back and watched a whole bunch of their tag matches from last year's uh, Five Star, and I put them on a level as far as tag teams that I enjoy. Currently in wrestling, I put them on the same level as FTR and the Young Bucks. Mm. That's how much I enjoy them uh, together, because they're... Just the stuff they do, the tag team stuff they do, their timing, their ring positioning, the way they play off each other. I mean, you have Momo as just this suplex queen, and she just throws these stiff shots, and Izumi's really good at the submissions and the, the high-speed stuff. And the way they mix their psychology together, it blows me away just how good they are. And I thought overall they were the best team of the tournament, and right behind them was Aphrodite, the other two from Queen's Quest, uh, Utami and, uh, and Saya. So, I mean, just goes to show you how well that Queen's Quest team is, because in my opinion, from match quality, I thought Momo Ozumi Momo was one, Aphrodite was two, and then the uh, eventual winners were, were, were three. So, uh, but I'm completely blown away with how good Momo and Azumi are. And the fact that it might be over within a week's time, it's heartbreaking. 
<laughs> it absolutely <laughs> is. We're definitely going to get into that in a minute. Um, we've got the final then, uh, which saw the Red Bull winners are Fukuoka Double Crazy, Hazuki and Kogama defeating last year's winners, Momo AZ, with a German suplex in 15 minutes and 28 seconds. Um, this was match of the tournament, hands down. Um, so if you want to go and watch one match from this tournament, watch the final. I mean, you probably could have anticipated that it would be the best, but considering that this was the third match that FWC had had fought on this night, and it's the second match that Momo AZ had fought on this night, it, it was just incredibly fun to watch. I mean, not, you with both teams having wrestled more than one match, you can be forgiven for thinking, oh, they're just going to take it a little bit easy. It's only tag league. Um, but it was... It, there was no point where you thought, Jesus, they're taking it a bit. So that final exchange between Kogama and Azumi is fantastic, where Hazuki looked as good as I've ever seen her in this match. Not just since her return, which has been phenomenal, but also just in general. She looked fantastic. She had that aura again. It's It was just a thoroughly enjoyable final. And, you know, when you... When you think about it, they were the only team with a real story emerging, to be honest. So for them to win made sense. But, you know, a win over the previous champions. Who said booking wrestling was difficult, Matt, eh? Seems like they do it so well. It seems like what's going on in stardom, they do it so well. And for me, again, I'm kind of new to stardom on uh, a monthly arc, you know, whenever they drop shows. It's refreshing. It's refreshing because there's... I, again, I try to be a very positive person, try not to bury anybody or, and in wrestling, but it seems like there's so much bad writing over the last four or five years, especially here in the States, of certain things going on in wrestling that you see what stardom does, and they just have long-term storylines playing out that all make sense. But yeah, I agree. This was by far match of the tournament, the final, which is, you know, you kind of want to put your best match on last, and that's kind of what they did with the five-star, and kind of playing off the five-star, you know, Siri had to wrestle twice to go through where here you have these two teams wrestling multiple times on the final night, which, Hey, again, two of the, you know, top teams in the, the tournament. Sure. You know, I'll pay my 15, 20, $30 a ticket and I'll sit in the front or second row. You know, if I'm a fan there in Japan and watch these two teams wrestle a whole bunch. Yeah, absolutely. I'm getting my money's worth. After the match, FWC affirmed that they are in fact going to challenge ALK for the goddess of stardom championships, as you would assume, having won the tag league. Um, and, at the moment, that match hasn't been announced for a particular show. Um, obviously, both Julia and Kogma are in title matches at Sumo Hall. Oh, sorry, no, Julia is against Konami in her leaving match um, at Sumo Hall. So the only... We haven't had a card announced yet, um, obviously with Osaka Super Wars happening in the interim. We haven't had a card yet for the year-end climax. Now, last year... We saw um, Black Widows be Priestley and Kon uh, Konami taking the belts off Aphrodite in the main event. So there is a high probability that the match between ALK and FWC will be the main event of year-end climax, which I am more than happy about. That That is going to be a fantastic match, Matt. Yeah, I'm a big fan of when tag team wrestling, again, really good tag team wrestling is the main event of shows. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it. Ring of Honor over the years has just had a banger of a tag division. And it makes sense that a lot of times they'll put their tag matches on last. 
Mm. And it's all, again, it's about putting your best match on last to make sure that the fans leave happy. Because at the end of the day, that's, that's what you want to do. You're trying to make the fans happy so they come back, so they buy your subscription, so they buy your merchandise, so they go home and they tell their friends, hey, you need to see this wrestling. Uh, yeah, so if that's the main event of uh, the year-end climax, not a problem. I'm sure. I'm sure we might watch it. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll see. Uh, <laughs> a possibility. If, if you fans, if you fans ask nice enough, we'll do yeah, it. It's Christmas exactly. time. <laughs> um, I mean, to be to be honest, you look at uh, aside from the Yokohama Budokan show in April, where it main evented over the Red Bell, which is still a huge bone of contention for me. Um, you look at the times that the uh, goddesses of Stardom tag belts have main evented, you know, those Road 2 shows, effectively what they are. You know, you look at ALK versus MK Sisters, which was a tremendous match. You look at um, ALK versus Aphrodite, which was another tremendous match. They always put on really, really good matches, especially recently in this division. So I'm looking forward to that, especially if somehow... Momo AZ stay together, which again, like you alluded to earlier, I don't think they will. Um, that's another team that could then go for those belts again. I mean, Momo AZ versus ALK was another fantastic match earlier on in the year. So, yeah, very, very excited. However, there were other things to come out of this match. So, throughout this tournament and in a match that we're going to be talking about a little bit later on, Starlight and Momo are currently embroiled in a feud with Starlight, basically saying that Momo is spent. She's done all she can in Queen's Quest. She's not the leader. She's been lost in the shuffle. Basically, everything that the fans also think about Momo. Um, you know, hashtag Momo is buried. So what she proposes, initially she said you should join a weed attire, and Momo said no. So what is going to happen at Osaka Super Wars on December 18th will be that they will be in Oedo Tai versus Queen's Quest match. And the loser out of Starlight and Momo will join the rival faction. There's also the added stipulation that if Starlight loses, she is going to lose her mask. Now, for me... That sort of telegraphs that Momo is going to a Wiedertai, especially now that we know Konami is taking a leave of absence, Matt. Yeah, I ha- kind of have a uh, armchair booking um, scenario here, and I'm going to kind of lay it out. Please so do. I think, yeah, I mean, I'm going to try not to be long-winded because we're, we're going long enough, and we apologize we still didn't even get to the main event yet of the podcast. But basically, here's what I think. Might happen, could happen, and I think would be cool to happen. I think majority of us think Momo is going to Oedo Tai. Now, we've seen when Oedo Tai wins these matches where they get a member of another faction, they almost, like, kidnap them. It's almost, like, hard to watch. Hmm. Um, we, so I think what will happen is, obviously, Oedo Tai wins. And then, but who's going to try to kidnap Momo? She's a killer. So I think as Momo, as the match is over, Momo, you know, the Queen's Quest lose. She's got to join Oweeta Tai. I think she looks at Queen's Quest. I think she looks at Oweeta Tai, and she leaves. She leaves, and then we have, what, 11 days between this show and um, the the end of the year show, right? Yes, yeah. 11 days exactly. 18th, yeah. yeah, 18th to the 29th. So I think, and I think they did, they think they did just announce Momo's match for that show, but I think Momo goes radio silent for the, that week and a half. You don't hear from her on social media, nothing. So I think at the end of, and I'm sure we'll probably pre- we'll preview it sometime coming up soon, but I think at the end of that show, you have Azumi win the high-speed title, you have Saya win the white belt, 
and Utami retains over Siri. At the end, the three of them, the three remaining members of Queen Quest are all celebrating. And then Awita Tai comes out from the crowd and they jump them. All 84 members of Awita Tai are on me. They're obviously, <laughs> obviously minus Konami. I think as soon as Konami's match is over, they, they show her, you know, getting in the car and she's, she's gone. I'll see you when I see you. So they jump her. They, they jump them. Obviously, Utami just had this barn burner of a match with Siri. Azumi wrestled earlier in the day. Uh, Saya just wrestled Tam, you know, an hour ago, whatever. So they're beating them down. And all of a sudden, the lights go out. And we hear some new music. The lights come back up, and it's Momo. And she's all in purple and black. Oweta Tai leaves the ring. She hits Azumi with a buzzsaw kick. Takes her out. Picks up Saya. Gives her the B-driver. Takes her out. And then she picks up... Uh, she picks up Utami, and she gives her uh, the um, I'm forgive uh, the Peach Sunrise. Is that the name of her finisher? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peach Sunrise. Oweta Tai gets in the ring. They all celebrate. She's the new leader of Oweta Tai. She takes the red belt. She holds it over Utami's head. That's how they go off the air. We leave more questions than answers. Then I think you film a YouTube segment, a YouTube segment, because obviously I think they're going towards Utami and Julia, which they kind of hinted towards at a. Uh, the Super War show, which we'll get into. I think you film a YouTube segment where Utami goes to Julia, like, look, hey, you're next for this title shot, but I need to get, I, I got to get revenge against Momo. And Julia says, fine, but I get the winner. So now you build up to one of your first big shows of the year. You have Utami versus Momo for the red belt, and then the winner takes on Julia somewhere three, four weeks down the line. So you have Momo's first match, and a Wita Time member, she gets a title shot. Now, we talked about long term booking. Let me ask you this, Rob, because you you've been watching Stardom longer than me. Okay. Do you think that this is this has been a year in the making, considering the fact about this time last year, Utami beat Momo and Momo wouldn't shake her hand. So do you think this is a year in the making that they're building up this heel run for Momo? She's the longest standing member of Queen's Quest. So she's due a change. I think the fact that she's seen Utami sort of pass her by, lap her, if you will, you know, people don't view her as the winner, sorry, the leader of Queen's Quest. And the fact that whoever feuds with Momo cites the fact that, you know, you've done all you can, you know, you're lost, you're spent, you know, the rest of the unit don't need you. I think they are building towards that, absolutely. I mean, it it makes perfect storyline booking sense and especially as you know almost a year to the day i think osaka dream cinderella was december 20th last year i think when uh momo lost to utami so you're looking almost exactly a year to the day momo's challenging again the complete new guys makes perfect booking sense of course this this could all go to part if suri takes the belt from utami Sure, and that's something that I won't complain about either. No, but again, to to kind of get off, kind of get off my soapbox. So I think this is a year in the making, and I think what you do is hurt Momo's first singles match in a Wita tie is against Utami for the belt, and Momo goes over. Momo finally wins the belt. It took her turning to the evilest faction in all of Stardom, and this you can completely shake up the roster because you have a completely different Momo. You have first of all a heel Momo, and you have which will make her more aggressive. She'll be cheating a little bit more. 
She'll be using outside interference more, and you have a red belt Momo, which is a Momo we've never had before. So now you have the Julia, you got to set up the Julia match. You can set up a match with the Zumi. You can set up a match against Saya, even though I think that they may be champions, but you don't do it first a belt first belt match. But at the same time, it gets the high speed belt over more. The fact that the high speed belt champion is challenging for the for the uh, red belt, and the same thing with the white belt. So then you can even have Siri say you could build her back up. Say, well, wait a minute, I beat you at the five star Grand Prix. If in the final, I want my title match, and it could get to a point where Oida Tai is just completely running rough shot over Stardom, and I would maybe even flip uh, a Micah or a Himika. And have them join Awita Tai as well as like one of the bruisers, one of the enforcers. And you can do like a backstage segment where it's like almost like a mafia style segment where you have the leaders of the family's factions. You have Mayu, you have Tam, even you could bring Takumi in from Marvelous. You have Julia all sitting at a table somewhere saying, look, we don't care which one of us wins the red belt. We have to get that red belt off Awita Tai. We have to get it off Momo. And you can do, obviously, I think they're going to eventually crown Julia. I think you do it the way that they were going to. I think you build this up if it's going well. You build it up, have Momo have the belt for a year, have Julia win the five-star next year, and then have her beat Momo in the final show of the year uh, to, you know, truly crown her. I think that would be a uh, a great way to kind of just shake things up, take, shake things up for the year. I don't hate it, Matt. I don't hate it at all. And it gives Momo a direction, which he is in so desperate need of. Um, it opens up a plethora of fresh feuds, fresh matchups, you know, matches that they've said, stardom, that they want to run more big shows. Well, you know, that opens up the possibility of far more big matches. Um, I'd love to see it. I'd love to yeah, see we'll it. See what- We'll see what happens. And even even I know we talked about it earlier. What if in three or four months, Kari comes back? And on her first show, she beats Mayu. And then at the end of the show, you Tommy retains against, I don't know, Tam. I'm just throwing it out there. And then Kari comes back and was like, I got to get – I'm a, I'm a legend here. You have disrespected that belt more than anybody. I got to get that belt off you. And then she goes over Kari. I mean you just keep building and building and building. Again, this can all go awry if Sherry wins, which is a, it's a very good possibility. So – We'll see what happens. It's 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 exciting. Absolutely. Um, that sort of leads into a question that I wanted to ask about free agents, but we'll talk about that at the end of the show, um, just because I'm conscious of the fact that we've still got quite a lot to talk about. <laughs> um, and we're not going to run through um, the 10th anniversary grand final Osaka Dream Cinderella show from Osaka Joe Hall, um, but I just wanted to talk very, very briefly about the two main events. So uh, it was running first time that a Joshi promotion in 26 years, I believe, has run Osaka Joe Hall. So an enormous achievement for stardom once again in this year where they just seem to keep knocking it out of the park in terms of records and history. Um, 1,441 in attendance. couple of notes before we get into sort of those last two or three matches. Ruwaka usurped Unagi as the future of stardom champion uh, with the freezer bomb at 8 minutes and 43 seconds. Um, Starlight Kid defeated Fukukin Death with the Black Tiger Pile Driver in 5 minutes and 46 to retain her high-speed championship. 
Um, Donna Del Mondo retained their Artist of Psalm Championships, defeating the Queen's Quest team of Momo, Saya, and Azumi with the Michinoku Driver 2, uh, which also saw the fantastic entrance of Azumi Mysterio. Um, we had the Hazuki return match, where she defeated Kagama. Um, really good match. And then we then had the first of Suri's SWA and World of Stardom Rights Challenge Certificate matches where she defeated Saki Kashima with the figure four leg lock. And I found out actually this was due to, I believe, um, she it was an apparent tribute to Keiji Muto who defeated Nobuhiko Takada with the very move on that day back in 1995 during the New Japan and UWF war, which I thought was a really subtle but really, really, really nice touch. Um, The two main events then of this show saw the Wonder of Stardom Championship match, Tam Nakano versus Mayu Iwatani, ending in a 30-minute time limit draw. Now, I saw quite a few people talking about this one. Um, And again, slightly divisive possibly well not possibly because of the result what was what was your opinion Matt of this match I enjoyed it I mean it's Tam versus Mayu I thought they left a little on the table which goes to show you they're going somewhere else with it you can't really give everybody everything just if they're going to go somewhere with it now obviously there's exceptions to the rule you know the first Okada Omega match certainly they didn't leave anything on the table on that one absolutely not made you but but it made you want to see more so, yeah, there was some some stuff that they could have done. But, again, I absolutely loved it. If I was going to grade that one on a scale of 1 to 10, probably a 7.5 or an 8, mm. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, again, Tam's promo at the end where she was just so disheartening. Like, I can't accept a draw. I can't accept a draw because I need to beat you because I need to be on your level, which really, you know, very few people are. Mm. I, yeah, I was conflicted about this match. On several counts, partly because, you know, it's Maya versus Tam. The in-ring was fantastic, you know, as you would expect. And in fact, if we were talking about this as a 20, 22, maybe even a 24, five-minute match, we'd be talking about this as a as a match of the year candidate. But I felt like it was, it was stretched to the 30-minute time limit draw. And I feel like the feud between Stars and Cosmic Angels has been... What's the best way? It's been... It suffered because of Mina's injury at the start of the year. And then it was put on the back burner again because of the stuff with Awida tie. And then it was sort of... They can't seem to keep it sustained. And with that, I feel like the feud has suffered a little bit. Um, But the promo at the end from Tam, you know, it's what we talked about with Starlight Kid. Absolutely desperate to usurp Mayu, to pass Mayu, the icon of stardom, yet she can't do it. And more frustratingly, it's not because she can't beat her, sorry, because she's lost to it, it's because she can't beat her, which, if anything, is more frustrating than an outright loss. Um, I just wish, and this is with hindsight being twenty twenty, I suppose, I just wish that there'd have been a little bit more of a build to warrant this 30-minute time limit draw. Does that make sense? Yeah, maybe if they did go 20. I, I, you're right. Some of it was stretched. Uh, everything you said you know, made sense. And obviously, you know, it's your opinion. And you're, uh, you know, we're all entitled to it, whether you like the match, love the match, or, or disliked it. Of course. Yeah, that, 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 that does make sense. And the injuries, 
it, you know, going back and forth between the two factions. It's kind of a start, stop, start, stop. And it's tough to gain momentum when you have that start, stop. Uh, but then again, look at who the leaders of the factions are. I think once it gets going again, hopefully it's a uh, full speed ahead and we could finally see where, where this is going. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I see this being another match and I do see Tam eventually usurping Mayu. I don't think it'll be for the white belt because I do agree with you. I do see Saya overcoming her defeat at Yokohama in July um, to get the belt. And I do see that yeah. being an absolute banger. Yeah, then if Tam gets a victory over you know, the icon of stardom, that propels her to uh, you know challenge for the red belt. That would obviously give her a... a you know, uh, an argument that, hey, I deserve a shot at whoever, the, you know, whether it's Momo, whether it's Suri, whether it's Julia, whether it's still Utami, that would give her, you know, again, she beat Utami in the, the five-star, you know, Grand Prix in the, the final night. So she would have, you know, two legs to stand on. Like, hey, I beat the icon of stardom and I beat the champion in the tournament. So maybe if after she does lose the white belt, maybe they start pushing her towards the uh, the top of the card for the uh, for the red belt. Agreed. Um, then the main event was the World of Stardom Championship match. Utami Hayashita defeating Takumi Aroha with the BT bomb in 30 minutes and 52 seconds. What was your opinion on this, Matt? Docker, another great match between these two. Uh, a little, maybe a little long, maybe three or four minutes too long, but I mean, that's my biggest complaint about it. Uh, still, excellent match again. If I'm doing the 1 to 10 rating that, uh, that you like to do on this show, I'm giving it, uh, I'm going to give it a solid 8. Uh, great match. These two. I mean, they can have a great match in their sleep. Yeah. I mean, it, it it wasn't without fault, certainly. And I think the main fault for me was the same main fault for you. It did go a little bit too long. I think if it had gone 22, 23, it's the same complaint, really, that I had about the Mayu and, uh, the Mayu and Tam match. Um, I think the length sort of killed a little bit of the heat. But again, these two served up in ring a fantastic match. Um, yeah, and really. it's a it's a more than solid addition to their respective 2021 back catalogs. I think it goes to show the year that Utami has had that this is a good match. Yet it's possibly one of her weakest defenses, and that's not to say this is a bad match by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, it's a good match. But Utami's defenses have just been on a different plain this year and she pulls out another superb one at Kawasaki which we'll be talking about in a minute and again and again and again you know we've got the new theme for you Tommy which admittedly the first time that I heard it I wasn't a massive fan because I was I was such a huge fan of you Tommy's old entrance theme and I'm sad to see it gone but the more I hear it the more you know the choral chanting the general huge atmospheric feel of it it does make her feel like almost like a goddess riding down to war she's got that final piece that makes her feel like the final boss of stardom it's she's got the i hate to make the comparison but she's got that okada-esque champion feel she truly feels like a champion there was just one pose where she was wreathed in that golden rose behind her you'd got the sort of towers of flame next to her. She's holding the flag, the rose, and this, it just, it all fell into place. And she just feels like the biggest thing in the company at the moment, which she obviously is. Um, I don't know about you. I don't know which one you prefer, or even if you care, but (laughs) just, she felt so huge in this. No, you're, you're, uh, 
your views there, Robert, spot on. I mean, in consider the Okada reference, I it didn't. I'd never thought of it until you said it. I'm like, yeah, absolutely dead on. I mean, Okada's the guy they've been pushing there for almost last seven, eight years, and I mean, to the moon and rightfully so. And I think it's almost the same thing with you, Tommy. Uh, it, it just she's got the complete package. Not only is she fantastic in the ring. She, you know, she's good with her backstage promos. She's good with her in-ring promos. And the entrance is something so huge. She has so many different levels on that entrance, like we alluded to before, you know, with the rose and the mask and the robe and the flag and the, the pyro. And then you're throwing in this new music. That Anytime anything, something is new. I mean, we all liked her old theme. Anytime something new, it's going to take some getting used to. But I think once we get used to it, which, you know, maybe some of us are, it is like, yeah, she is, you know, the goddess of stardom. She's the biggest overall star in that company. And again, she's only, what, 22, 23 years old. I think she's only been wrestling for three or four years, which is just, again, just like Okada, like just absolutely insane, just a prodigy. And I mean, just it's going to be crazy as long as she stays healthy where she's going to go in the next four or five years in pro wrestling. Absolutely. I, I can't wait to see that because now that she's had this belt, she truly feels like one of the four pillars of stardom. And, yeah. you know, she she's on the same level as a Mayu, as a Julia, as a Siori, as a Tam. And she feels like that final boss, which I feel like towards the start of the year, stardom were worried she didn't feel like. But she's proved so many people wrong. And like I mentioned, her defense against Takumi Aroha was potentially one of her weaker defenses, but was still a fantastic match, which, if anything, is a huge compliment for how good her reign has been, for how good the match quality of her reign has been. Yeah, I think maybe this match was her first defense. I think maybe we'd be looking at it uh, maybe a little bit bigger, better, just because it was like, okay, this was the first step and only gets better. You know, the Momo, the Siri, the, you know, uh, the Micah, and so on and so forth. But yeah, I, the fact that you thought that, and I kind of agree, this is one of her weaker title defense, and by no means is that a slight against her, just everything else has been so good, so good. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I think she's going to be at a point where she's going to be like a Mayu, where if something happens or somebody gets injured, or if they try to put the belt on somebody new, it's not working. It's like a safe bet, kind of like New Japan does with Okada, Tanahashi, mm. or or All Japan used to do with, uh, with Misawa. It's like uh, maybe this this run's not working or Kawada would get injured. We'll just put the belt on, on Masawa because it'll work. And I think that Mayu and uh, Utami are probably the only two people in stardom right now that if somebody gets hurt or there's an emergency that they need to put you know the belt on somebody to either pop a rating or something they're doing's not working, they can go with Mayu. And now I think that they feel pretty confident they can go with Utami. Absolutely. Completely agree. Um. So we move on then to the final pay-per-view before we talk about Tokyo Super Wars, which was Kawasaki Super Wars 2021 from November 3rd, 2021 in the Todoraki Arena, Kawasaki, with an attendance of 906 people. We're not going to talk about every match, pretty much like the Osaka show. We're just going to sort of dip in and out of the title matches and then look in a little bit more detail at the top two. Um, in other notes, uh, Riwaka retained the Future of Stardom Championship against Lady C in a shade under five minutes. Um, we also had Minishirakawa defeating Sayakamatani and Micah, which will be important later on. Um, we then had Starlight Kid 
going for uh, Momo Watanabe. Their high-speed championship match ended in a double countout. Um, this was all stemming from their face-off at Corican Hall um, on the 17th of October when Starlight baited Momo into making a high-speed championship match, which initially Momo refused, but Starlight sort of needled her with barbs about being a coward and running away, questioning if Momo really was the leader of Queen's Quest before uttering the word Shopai which was like a red rag to a bull for Momo after months of enduring that word from B Priestley. So she agreed to the terms, told Kid that she would win her crappy, to put it in quotation marks, belt, and then give it right back to her. Fantastic way of building the belt there. But the match itself, though not your stereotypical high-speed like bout, I thought it worked very well on a storyline level so i'm willing i'm willing to forgive that and i think it's the first step in a wider story which obviously we'll see at osaka super wars um swa undisputed world women's championship match in the five-star grand prix right to challenge certificate match suri defeating azumi with the white tiger in 13 minutes and 22 seconds what did you think about this one matt yeah, anything Siri does is is excellent. Uh, but to kind of just go back to Momo Starlight Kid, I kind of just want to touch on that a uh, few seconds. Yeah, oh, I, the way that the match was built and they're building towards uh, this Awita Tai versus Queen's Quest match, I think this was a fantastic first step. I mean, and one of the best double countouts that you know, anytime that we see, we read uh, it's a double countout, maybe we kind of cringe. But I mean, it was the way that it was set up, the way the match was built. I think it was the perfect finish. The fact that the two of them were brawling and they're pushing the refs around, they're pushing the seconds around and they're kind of just going back and forth where they're trying to get their hands on each other. Even Momo ripping at Starlight Kid's mask, showing a little bit more heel tactics, a little more aggressive Momo as if she's not aggressive enough, but this is like super, you know, I'm coming, I'm coming for blood. Uh, Momo. I thought it was, again, maybe this is the, uh, the, the seeds planted to a uh, heel Momo. So, and this might be, you know, one of the, uh, the, the first steps. So, I thought that was excellent, but yeah, the uh, the SWA match, I, I thought that I thought was was done very well. Anything Siri does, I'm always uh, I'm always key to uh, key to watch. Absolutely, and again, Azumi, she felt like she belonged in that title match. It wasn't a fact that you thought nah, she's a bit out of a depth here. Whereas you look at the one in January, uh, sorry, no February, I'm sorry, um, over that Valentine's Day weekend at um, at Corrigan. She felt, yeah. well, it was very much playing into the story of the match that she was out of depth and, you know, once all the high-speed stuff had been spent, she was running out of ideas, whereas here it felt like a far more even match-up, even though Suri was eventually far too much. Um, yeah, she does a good job. She did a good job, like, almost trading submissions, where you can tell it's like that puts her submission game on a different level. The fact that she was not quite there, but just a level below of what Siri was, I think Azumi's submission game is very underrated, and I think that uh, Siri did a good job uh, selling for her submissions. She did a good job feeding for her submissions, and in turn, that makes Azumi a bigger threat. So when Siri gets the win, it makes her win even uh, more important because she made Azumi look really good with the submissions. Considering the fact that Siri is a legit shooter, you know, with that UFC MMA background, so um, I can't wait to see what these two do in two or three more years when Azumi's just. She's constantly getting better, so uh, I, I'm excited. Hopefully, that they wrestle a few more times. I'm, I thought it was a, it was a fun match. 
we then move on to the semi-main, which was the Wonder of Stardom Championship match with Tam Nakano defeating Yunagi Sayaka with the Twilight Dream in 21 minutes and 31 seconds. Now, I mentioned earlier on that I find Yunagi bland. I, I always have, and uh, over the course of the year, I don't think any of my complaints or gripes have been baseless. I, I do think Yunagi's been pushed too much too quickly, and whilst there have been clear improvements, I do think she needs to up her offense and improve her storytelling, and I do sort of still find her a bit bland. However, all that being said, she enters the arena here and she feels like a goddamn star. And in truth, this is probably the first time I can see what the stardom booking team and higher-ups have seen. It's, I guess it's amazing what the addition of a samurai sword can do. Um, apparently that makes you look like you're a true main eventer. Who knew? Um, but overall, much as I'm ambivalent towards you, Nagi, this was a tremendous match. And Yunagi, it wasn't not all time. Yunagi brought in this match. Jesus H. Christ, those headbutts, Matt. Yeah, well, I mean, this is... I mean, I, Yunagi's, from what I've seen, her best match. I don't think you'll disagree. Not all, and completely I think this is, And this is, again, it wasn't all Tam, but the same part, and we'll get into it with the uh, Tam's match at Mina here in a little bit. This is Tam being a professional and taking care of her own. She knew that if she had to give Yunagi and she gave Mina both great matches, it only raises their stock up and they're in the same faction together. So yeah, Yunagi, she had her A-plus game here. No doubt about it. Her best performance to date from what I've seen. But again, it takes two to tango. And this is just another reason why I think Tam needs to be pushed in the next six or seven months towards that red belt. Because she makes her it, she makes her opponents look so good, and in turn makes her look good. Everybody she wrestles, she makes better, and she's taking these you know for lack of term, and I don't mean to be disrespectful. These mid card wrestlers, and she's making them, putting them in the semi main event against the second biggest belt that the company has, and making it look like oh, there's a chance here that they they may flip the belt. And again, Yunagi, A-plus effort, but a lot of this has to do with Tam just being a goddamn professional and just being so good at her job by making underneath talent look so much better. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. What I will say is one huge issue I had with Yunagi, especially, you know, even so far, even as recently as just before the five-star, was, and it was a, it was the reason I prefer Mina to um, Yunagi. Yunagi has one way of sort of selling and being a baby face in peril, it's to shout, and that's it. Whereas Mina has the facial expressions down, the storytelling down. Here, Yunagi's selling and facial expressions were infinitely ahead of where they have been, and that is half the battle for me. I'm immediately invested in the fact that Tam brutalizes Yunagi in order to show that, you know, I, you're not on my level. I'm willing to give you the shot, but there's going to be no quarter given here. We're stable mates. We're friends in this ring. I'm going to beat you, and I'm going to show you what it takes to be a champion. I'm going to show you that you aren't there yet. And Yunagi played a, perf- a part perfectly here. It's the first time in a long, long time, probably since, Jesus, the tag match with Julia, and we're talking back in July, February time, where... I've been thoroughly invested in Yunagi's character. And 
her offense is hitting with a crispness it's been missing for months and months and months. And like I said, those those headbutts, Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm I'm squirmish about shoot headbutts since the whole Shibata and Okada thing. And but even so, good grief. The fact that Yunagi's willing to do that to herself immediately upped the sort of legitimacy of this match. And I, I can't give it enough credit. Um, Mina comes out and challenges afterwards. Um, now, I'm really happy that Mina has an opportunity at the white belt on a big stage. And I do think her improvement has surpassed that of Yunagi from where they were. However, a justification for challenging essentially boils down to, hey, look, I won a match and pinned the Cinderella tournament winner, which for someone who spent a significant amounts of time this year as Cosmic Angels nominated Pin Eater doesn't quite cut it. But that's I do want to reiterate that I am pleased that Mina's been given a shot because I do think she deserves it. Um, we'll see how that match goes uh, when we talk about Tokyo Super Wars in a moment. Main event then of the Kawasaki show was Utami Hayashita defeating Hazuki for the World of Stardom Championship match, uh, sorry, the World of Stardom Championship with the BT Bomb in 25 minutes and 24 seconds. What do you think of this, Matt? Well, it's kind of like, hey, welcome back, Azuki. Here's, uh, you're back. Oh, hey, we're going to give you a title shot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was kind of quick. It was like, geez, do you want to build her up first? But uh, I, 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 it was a great match. I mean, what's to say? Huzuki's, it looks like she hasn't missed a beat. It really, really doesn't. Uh, I think that she's performing great. And again, I know we're beating a dead horse here. You, Tommy, you can put her in a broomstick and, it, and it, it'll, it's going to make, it's going to make sense. Uh, I thought the match was terrific. I thought you, Tommy did a good job. Again, you're talking about these champions, given the challengers, a lot of offense and that in turn only makes the challenger better, which if they do a return match, Hey, that's just good for business. You know, and at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. And you, Tommy did a great job giving uh Suzuki a lot of offense and then in turn, you know, her comeback made more. And, you know, she always she always hits, you know, two or three big moves towards the end where it's like she's just emptying out the tank of, uh, of her offense to try to get the win. And I thought this match was terrific. And again, something that I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, down the road, they do a rematch somewhere. You said about um, Hazuki sort of strolling in again, a championship match. And I agree with you. The, there wasn't really a bill, but however, it played into the story of this match so well because her return to stardom has been by and large a huge success her return match with Kogama and their subsequent tag team was greeted with a lot of praise however there is the undercurrent of the unhealthy circumstances surrounding her retirement back in 2019 and you know the good grace that she has with fans by simply being Hazuki isn't shared by the same isn't shared by the roster you know there's horrible rumours flying around that jungle a, a lot of the reason Jungle Kiona has sort of taken a step back and decided to leave Stardom is due to them rehiring Hazuki. I don't know how much of that is true, but there we are. Um, at the tail end of Osaka Dream Cinderella, Hazuki challenged Tommy for the red belt, and though the champion agreed, she is quick to remind Hazuki that she abandoned the company and cannot simply stroll back in and expect everybody to drop to their knees in praise. And the fact that that's then mirrored by the press conference and then again 
at the start of this match by the point-blank refusal by Yutami to show any sort of respect to Hazuki or to even acknowledge her. It's a simple story. It's a perfect story as they go through this match and Hazuki is just beaten down but keeps getting up and asking for more. And eventually, Yutami has little choice but to acknowledge her and give her that that congratulations, that that welcoming handshake at the end, um, that acceptance and that respect. I thought the way we got from point A to point B, again, one of the better matches of the year, and this is actually one of my matches of the year from a pure in-ring standpoint. I absolutely loved it. Was it spoiled a little bit by a predictable booking? Maybe. But in the moment of watching it, I was completely engrossed from start to finish. The eager for respect to Zuki, being desperate for respect from the dismissive Utami, just tremendous. The fucking stomach-clenchingly big moments and edge of your seat near falls. Some of those horrendous, horrendously scary bumps that Hazuki was taking on her neck. I was just completely, completely invested in this match, Matt. Wow, you liked it that much. I'm going to have to go back and watch it. I only watched it once right after it came up on Starter World, but I think uh, I think maybe tonight or tomorrow I'm going to have to go back and watch it. So, I mean, I thought it was good, but I didn't give it that high praise, but maybe I'm missing something. So it gives me an excuse to go back and watch it. <laughs> You'll have to let me know what you think of it because now I'm worried yeah. that I'm going too big on it. <laughs> no, hey, you, you can like – again, wrestling is everybody's opinion. I don't like these – I mean, social media is toxic to begin with, but I don't like these – uh, oh, why do you think this person's good? Or I can't believe you like that match. You can like anything that you want. It doesn't matter. You can, you can, I can have somebody on Twitter say, I think Carmel is the best women's wrestler in the world. And I watch stardom. Hey, great. That's your opinion. You know, it's all subjective. So, uh, so I'm going to, and I, you know, obviously respect your opinion quite a bit. So I'm going to have to go back and watch it. But you know, if the booking, if who's going to win the match, if you can, if it's predictable to me, that doesn't hurt the match at all. That's another thing that I don't like. I had, I saw somebody tweeted at me the other day that it was always predictable that Adam Cole was going to beat Wheeler Yuta on Dynamite. Uh, that's what's terrible about AEW, the booking's so predictable. I'm like, of course Adam Cole was going to beat Wheeler, Wheeler Yuta. Wheeler Yuta's up and coming and Adam Cole's a big star. So people were upset that, they knew who was going to win the match. Like to me, that does not ruin it at all. Like mm-hmm. at, at all. And I think which makes this main event coming up at the end of the year between Siri and Utami so good because we really don't know who's going to win. I think, I, yeah, absolutely. Don't get me wrong. There so, are certain matches where I'm like, nah, it does, the predictability does does make it suffer slightly. And we're actually going to get into one of those matches as we go into sort of the main event of our podcast. But for the vast majority, like the, the Adam Cole uh, Wheelie Utah thing, the whole point of that match is to give Wheelie Utah some some exposure. Being in the ring oh. with Adam Cole, that, that's the whole point. That's that's absolutely fine. I, I don't mind See- that at all. See, Rob, you get it. Wrestling could be so simple. Wrestling could be so people overcomplicated. He gets it. Like, I, I don't, you know, my wife, who's only been watching wrestling since we first got together, she gets it than most, most people I know for 20 years. I'm like, how do you see this? But half the people I talk to don't. It's like, it, it, it's not that difficult, you know? Not people, not you know, yeah, like kiss, keep it simple, stupid. That's basically, you know, <laughs> what it is. But I'm definitely going to have to go back and watch it. So, 
Thanks for giving me an excuse to watch this Hazuki versus Utami match. <laughs> Not a problem, my man. Um, let's move on then to our Stardom Tokyo Super Wars review, November 27th, 2021, from Yuyagi National Gymnasium Number 2 Tokyo in front of 1,119 fans. We started with the future of Stardom Championship three-way match with the champion Ruaka defeating Wakasukiyama and Mei Sakurai with the freezer bomb in four minutes and 50 seconds. Now, I thought this was going to be a handicap match, and I'm not going to lie, Matt, I'm really glad it wasn't um, because it was a really relatively interesting dynamic for an opener. Yeah, not only that, but you have the heel as one person, and you have the two baby faces as the two. So usually when you do a handicap, it's usually the two heels out of the baby. So that was kind of when the match started. I was like, ooh, um, this, you know, and three ways are hard to do anyway. I mean, three ways are tough to do just because there's an odd number of people. Four ways are easier, six ways are easier, three way tags because you have the even amount of people. But I thought this was good for what it was. And I think the main thing that they did was they kept it short. It only went, what, four minutes and change. So there really wasn't much room for error. Um, I guess my only big complaint was you can tell that the, the three of them are still kind of green because mm-hmm. there was a lot of lack of selling, especially in the facials and especially what happened post-match uh, after the match as well. Yeah. Um, I am a little bit of a bigger fan of Sukiyama than I am of Sakurai. Um, I feel Great. like... Great. Yeah. yeah. She just she seems to be a lot more wooden in her offense. She seems to... It, it's like that person who, you know, you... You're rehearsing a play and you've got that person who's got all the character expression down. You know, they clearly know the lines. Whereas you've still got that one person who's still in the process of learning their lines and is just bothered about getting the lines out as opposed to thinking about how they're going to say them. And I feel like that's where Sakurai is at the moment. Um, yeah, lack of co- lack of confidence and more in ring work with better people. You know, we'll just give her there just just more reps. I think I, eventually she can get everybody in stardom or anybody in wrestling can get to where they got to where they want to. You just need more reps and you need to be in there with somebody better than you that's willing to teach you. Absolutely. What the hell then breaks loose, Matt? As uh, a master attacker bedecked in the infamous Momo mask that fucking terrorized every school teacher for about six months, um, attacks all three women with a sledgehammer before being chased off by Starlight Kid. Um, the internet has been rife with rumors as to who could be behind the mask, um, from Mirai Mayumi from Tokyo Joshi Pro to Marvelous's Makoto Shinoda to, and I cannot stress how much I laughed when I read this, Kairi Hojo. The only person that I know, I know a little of Joshi wrestling outside of stardom. So if it is anybody, I hope it is Kairi, just to bring her in. But I think it's a kind of a dumb what you, you can't bring, you know, one of the icons of stardom back in a different way. But at the same time, I'm not much of a complainer. I'll take it. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting just to see who it is because it is getting some buzz on the internet. And any masked attacker gimmick is always uh, is always fun to kind of speculate who it can be. Of course. And the chance of it being anyone of, no offense, any real stock and them coming in to challenge, you know, the future of stardom championship. It, yeah. Carrie, Carrie is not going to be bothered about Rowaka, Wakisukiyama or my Sakurai. She's she's just not going to be Plus, the body shape is completely different. Do you know what? It's fine. It is a way of getting someone else into the company. Um, it's fine. I mean... We haven't. We had seen 
this attacker briefly at Kawasaki Super Wars on the pre-show, but, you know, I'm excited by the prospect of Ruaka and Hannon is basically what's come out of this match. Um, their match at Sumo Hall should be a little bit better, I feel. What about yeah. you? Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, totally agree. And again, this might have been just the way just to get the three of them on the show. Again, four minutes didn't hurt. And then he kind of had two angles afterwards. You had the setup for the, the match at the end of the year. Then obviously, you know, who is Momo Mask? And then Starlight Kid chasing off the person who is Momo Mask. So again, it's is that going to be, you know, a feud? Um, so, you know, again, stardom, the way that their booking has been this past year is they, it looks like they have more than one avenue to uh, go down somewhere. And I think each, any avenue they pick, yeah, I think it'll be the right avenue. I don't think there'll be no wrong answer. We move on then to a tag team match with the team of Momo AZ, Momo Watanabe, and Azumi defeating Yunagi Sayaka and Lady C with diving double foot stomp in nine minutes and 36 seconds. Um, we've talked a lot about Yunagi. I'm, I'm not going to, uh, as you put it, flag a dead horse, but, you know, her offense is now hitting with the crispness it so desperately lacked. Um, she's continuing to add other unique elements to her arsenal, you know, things like the monkey flip on Azumi out of the corner. Um, you've got just the charisma she oozes as she does strut to the ring now. And it, it she does feel like a star, which is, you know, which is great, which is great. I'm looking forward to seeing the the build of her next year. But Lady C, who, you know, bless her, I think she's 1-78 this year in matches. It's not exactly the greatest of stats, but it's always fun to check in and see how she's doing. And in terms of being a rookie, I think she looks, she does the basics very, very well and is becoming significantly braver in what she attempts. The key thing that you said there is 78. One in 78, my quick math skills tell me she's had almost 80 matches this year. So that's a lot of matches for a rookie to have really anywhere. And again, uh, you know, again, I'm, I know I'm, I'm, I can't stress this enough. You only get better by reps in the ring, by reps in the ring against better people. Stardom clearly has the best female roster in the world, bar none. You know, mm-hmm. nobody can tell me any different, <laughs> but <laughs> so she's in there almost 80 matches, whether it's tag six man or single, she's only going to get better. And I noticed that lady C she does every match. She gets a little bit better. It's the little things. It's her timing. It's her ring positioning. It's her selling. It's her offensive selling. It's where she needs to be in the ring. Uh, and I, even on my notes, I wrote down that she did a buying the giant Baba clothesline. And when she did it, I wrote it down and the, the commentators did say, I heard it, I could have sworn I heard them say Baba. So I'm like, I wonder if on the Japanese commentary that they put over, she did a giant Baba clothesline. Any, anytime anybody does anything, all Japan, especially from the 90s, not from the nineties, uh, it gets a huge pop for me. So uh, <laughs> easy. Man's and of course, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's my favorite era of wrestling. The King's road from 90 to 99 is my, uh, from all Japan's my favorite era of wrestling. So I thought that, you know, not only did she do those little things well, but she, I got, Got a big pop from me, but she did the giant Baba clothesline. And again, you're in there with one of the best overall tag teams, in my opinion, in the in the world. You know, uh, Momo and Azumi. So I thought this match was uh, was fine. It didn't go too long. It served its purpose. It did it did what it needed to do. It's just that if this was the last tag match between the two of them, it's kind of a weird note to go out on. Yeah, it's it's certainly a sad note. But again, we'll see where it goes. Um... Basically, it boils down to this being a pleasing little sprint if you've got a spare nine minutes. Um, it's, you know, it's always fun, like I say, to check out where uh, where Lady C is. 
Six-woman tag team action then next with the stars team of Mayu Iwatani, Hazuki and Hanan defeating the Oida Tai team of Saki Kashima, Fukukan Death and Rina with the vertical drop Brain Buster in 8 minutes and 48 seconds. There is an outstanding Saki and Hazuki exchange that takes part takes place with them sort of roll up exchanging, reversing the Hazuki Stral into the Kishikasai. It, it just seamlessly. It, it's a thing of beauty. Apart from that, it's it's solid yet unspectacular. I think is the uh, is the way to describe this match, Matt. That's I, literally the first note I have is the chemistry that the two of them had. Mm. Uh, the second note is it was solid service purpose and my third note which is again i don't like to be negative but the most negative thing about this match not enough mayu yeah not enough not enough they could have put her in for 30 minutes and i probably would have still complained it wasn't enough uh <laughs> i did like i do like the launching drop kick that uh that stars does with my it looks like she's going to kill somebody in the corner and then she takes almost like a german suplex bump on her head on the way down as well oh, yeah. uh, i noticed they've been doing that i noticed that they've been doing that a lot lately in these uh six mans and eight man stars uh eight man tag it's like man they they just launch her right through whoever that poor soul is in the corner, and then poor Mayu she she takes the brunt of it as well because she comes down like she just got dragon that she just took her own dragon suplex. So I wouldn't be, I would I wouldn't be shocked if you don't see that if you you don't see that in the next few months. It's like yeah let's let's do something else. There's five thousand other things I can do. Let me just do a moonsault on the outside of the fifty people. You know <laughs> that might be safer. <laughs> I mean let's be honest. One thing Mayu is not known for is self safety. So it really does not surprise me. I don't know if you've seen, there was something that was gift incessantly for years and years with, um, it was Freedom, so Kyrie, Eo, and Mayu, and they used to do it, um, this dropkick, and they absolutely launched her into Chelsea Green. And oh my God, it, how Chelsea Green is still alive, I've got no idea because... Wait. Wait, wait, I don't mean to cut you off. So wait, that was Chelsea Green that ate that? That was Chelsea Green that ate that in that gif. That's Chelsea Green, <laughs> the re- yeah. The reason why I say that, because last night at the Ring of Honor pay-per-view, there was a six-woman tag, and she took a, I forget who it was, she took a brutal knee strike into the corner that was very similar to that. <laughs> and that just and that just happened like 12 hours ago as we recorded this. Oh, my God. Wow, how about that? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it was it was gift incessantly for months and just <laughs> it is brutal. Absolutely. She cannons into it. It's uh it's something to check out. Um but yeah, it's it's a standard tag match. There's not a great deal to talk about. Um so we'll move on to the Wonder of Stardom number one contendership three-way with Saikamatani defeating Natsupoi and Himika with a European clutch. Um, now, the video package, I thought, the video packages were great, I thought, on this show, as they have been all year. Whenever they Stardom have done pay-per-views, I think they've done tremendously well with the video packages. And this one in particular does a fantastic job of outlining the two main plot points of this match. Saya's redemption... Um, you know, the arc of her wanting to go back and be her mentor in Tam and the ongoing bickering between Poi and Himika. Um, I thought it did a tremendous job and I thought this match itself, though, you know, it's not something we'll be talking about at the end of the year for, you know, match of the year quality. I thought it did a fantastic job of continuing both those stories, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. You had uh, three, again, three ways are tough to do. The second three way on this show, but this one was completely different because again you had two stable mates but you had two stable mates that were arguing so right off the rip you know they started going 
and everybody had played their role perfectly in this match. And again, I thought the finish was really good with Saya getting the European clutch. And not to get ahead of ourselves, but Saya has been winning matches the past few shows by winning the European clutch, which I think is kind of a red herring in a good way. Because mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a massive, massive falsy with her uh, match with Tam. And I think a lot of people are going to bite on it. Wouldn't and I think this was a, yeah, I think this is a good way to kind of, okay, I won my number one contender's match with this move. I'm going to keep using it. However, I still have more in my arsenal. Obviously, you know, the Phoenix Splash, all the other high-flying uh, stuff that she does, you know, and the, the Key Crusher uh, thing that she calls. Um, I for, You would know better than me the, uh, the name. But uh, she, and now she just has another way to beat you, which I'm a big fan of when wrestlers have more than one way of winning a match. It doesn't always have to be, you know, the rock bottom or the stone cold stunner, you know, to, to, you know, show the American fan over and hear me. Now Saya has something different in her arsenal, a, a flash pin, which she used in this match, but this match was solid and it told a whole bunch of different stories. So I think this was brilliant on more than one level. Agreed. Agreed massively. Um, one of the big things about Saya is that she's constantly evolving um, and her offense is constantly evolving, which means that, you know, just before, um, the Budokan show where she was ba- uh, fighting Yutami for the red belt, she developed the uh, springboard Hurricane Rana, which she then pinned Yutami with in Korokan. And then that led to one of still one of the best near falls of the year at Budokan, where I'm still convinced it was a three count now, and we're in December. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we get a fantastic near fall with that, or even if that is the way she eventually goes on and wins. Um, the chemistry between Natsupoy and Himika was was fantastic, where we had the roller coaster of one minute them teening together, and then the next minute Himika beheading Natsupoy with lariats. And there's one particular one as Natsupoy stares deeply into Himika's eyes as though to ask why. Why are you doing this? And then Himika just absolutely thumping into her with a Larry. That was that was a personal highlight of mine. Um, up there with Natsupoy actually hitting Himika with an impressive German suplex. I, I will oh, never not be impressed. Bump was, yeah, that bump was brutal. I it mean, was. she's like twice her size. One, it just goes to show you how much give that uh, Himika gave. And two, a lot of core strength there in, uh, in Natsupoy. It seems like German suplexes and core suplexes seem to kind of be the... Uh, you know, one of the bread and butters of, of stardom, which is one of the reasons why I like it. Hence, all, you know, the All Japan stuff. So, but yeah, that that suplex was absolutely brutal. Was. Really, really was. And then, I've got to mention this again. Natsupoi's fairy blink. That roll-up attempt, it just, it it's very aptly named because genuinely, I can't follow it. Like, I don't understand, like, at one one second, she is on Saya's shoulders, and then the next second, they're in a roll-up position, and I've got no idea how they've got there. It's just so quick. It's unreal. Um, just always impresses me every time I see Natsupoi break it out. Um, obviously, this leads to the semi-main at Sumo Hall, which will be Tam. Versus that spoilers. Obviously, we know we all know, we all know by now that Tam gets past Mina. Um, but yeah, I think it was done well. It's the right result, and we had some storyline progression. Where this goes with Himika and Natsupoi, I'm not sure. Obviously, Don and Del Mondo are yet, as they are, you know, the second newest faction behind Cosmic Angels. They're yet to have any real faction shakeup of any kind, or even any real feud of any substance. So 
this tension is is intriguing. Um, Himika showing a sign of friendship as she carries Natsupoy off from the ring only serves to further that story as well. So, you know, who is going to go too far and strain that friendship past its past its breaking point is the question we, we're left with. I'd love to see some manner of shake-up, um, whether it's Himika or whether it's Natsupoy. And we've actually had a question on Twitter in regard to where we where we think or how we think it's going to end between Himika and Natsupoy, whether it's going to result in them dropping the artist belts or whether it's going to result in one of them leaving or who it's going to result in leaving. Um, it's it's something that is very open-ended and something I'm very excited about. What about you? Yeah. Um, again, it, you shake it up a little. I, um, a little bit ago, my prediction was not only does Momo join a Wida tie, but I think you're going to have a member for, maybe from DDM and maybe this is the seeds planning that you'll get uh, that maybe Himika will go over DDM. So this way you kind of get another bruiser uh, in, the, in the big heel faction. So, you know, we'll find out. Siren's been firing on all cylinders, so we will definitely uh, watch, see what happens, and then we'll be back here to report it because uh, that's what we do. Absolutely. Um, we move on then to uh, – sorry, just lost my notes. There we go, the back. Um, the high-speed championship match, uh, Starlight Kid defeating Kagama with the Kid Clutch in 8 minutes and 32 seconds. I texted you, Matt, um, a couple of days ago because I was re-watching this, and I said about the opening salvo of this match stands against any high-speed match I've ever seen. It's obviously fast. But, you know, what high-speed match in is, isn't. But the way this pair use not only the ring but the outside and manage to do it without breaking stride is just, it's truly phenomenal. It also goes to show just how much Kogama has raised a game in the last few months, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, everybody in this roster, you can say, eh, even from the top, from January 1 until December 12th today when we record this podcast, has improved in somewhat of their game. Uh, when I watch a match, like sometimes I'll put myself in it. Like, okay, if I'm doing this spot, is it this way? Do I go this way? What if I did this? And that's kind of sometimes the way I think and why I'm always taking notes, not only for if I'm doing a review of a podcast, but for my matches myself. I got done watching these first maybe two or three minutes and I was exhausted. And I do a lot of cardio. I was exhausted. Just watching these two, my lungs were burning. Again, not only using the, ring, the, the inside of the ring, you're using the outside, which means you have to go up and down essentially a half a si- uh, half of flight of stairs in a matter of a second so you can get your timing. So not only was the pacing good, the timing was good, the psychology was good, everything, and then it just built. It just built. I'm like, they could have ended it there. I'm like, I'm good. Like, I'm I'm fine, you know. I, I'm good to go. And then that's, this match is built. It just shows you how great Starlight Kid is overall in general. First of all, let's talk about her entrance. She oh, come, we, talk about Utami's ent- we talk about Utami's entrance. Starlight Kid's not too far away from Utami on the entrance. She comes out. She's got like three masks. She's got one in her hand, one on her head. Oh, no, she's got two on her head. The one she takes off, she's got one in her robe. Like her her entrance, her, she has taken this heel role of Oida Tai and just taken on a completely different level, which nobody was really sure how this was going to happen because she was so loved as Mayu's sidekicks. They were basically Batman and Robin. If you think about it, they, yeah. she was so loved as Mayu's sidekick in stars. She was so lovable. And then she does this heel turn and you're kind of just like, ah, I don't know how this is going to turn out. And here we are just a handful, a couple of months left. And she might be the most overall improved wrestler, not only in stardom, but probably just 
maybe in the entire wrestling business for what she's been able to do in this past five or six months. And I mean that as a complete package, not only in the ring, but what she's doing for her entrance, what she's doing in the Momo feud with these promos and how she's getting under Momo's skin and she's just pissing off Momo. I mean, she just is the complete package and it's just the, the mid card level of stardom is so I think in, in six months, they're ready to bang up onto the, the main event, and they already have so many good main eventers. I mean, this might be the most stacked roster in all of wrestling, other than the recent acquisitions from AEW. I mean, they're, they're so stacked from, 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 big, uh, from the opening match into the main event. Absolutely. I completely agreed. Um, after a few matches where the identity of the high-speed title was forgotten, in lieu of storytelling, you look at the Nats point match, which... I wasn't a fan of on the basis that it wasn't a high-speed style. It just became another title match. Um, and then you look at you know the storytelling of the Momo match. It was refreshing to go back to you know the standard high-speed style, if you want, especially as it's between two of the best in the company at this type of match. The opening and closing sequence are blink and you'll miss it. It's just it it's absolutely tremendous. Uh, post-match, Azumi comes to the ring. Uh, basically requesting um, Kid put the belt on the line at Sumo Hall, which I'm very excited about because still to this day, the best high-speed championship match I've seen is Azumi versus Starlight Kid from last year. Um, Kogame, apropos of absolute nothing, um, says that she wants to be in that match as well. Um, I don't really understand why, um, but yeah, sure. Starlight Kid says, do you know what? With three people in, it's going to be the fastest high-speed match ever. And if that proves to be true, then I'm incredibly excited. Um, Matt, are you disappointed that we don't get the one-on-one rematch between Azumi and Starlight? Or are you a man who's just like, more speed, but the better? Two different things. One is Starlight Kid's the heel here, so why would she take chances of now she has two different opponents? So I didn't understand that. It'd be one thing if she was the face or if Koguma won and this happens, like, yes, I'm going to be a fighting champion. So I don't understand that. Uh, I think maybe maybe because they're trying to protect Starlight Kid, maybe Azumi pins Koguma. I think she eats the pin. I think she's going to eat the pin regardless. Uh, I think maybe they're just trying to protect Azumi and Starlight Kid. Maybe that's me. Maybe that's just me looking looking too too much into it. Again, I particularly don't like three ways. But at the same point, after you watch this match... And then you throw Zumi in, who is one of our favorites, and you're, you're basically doing a rematch and you're throwing in another fantastic wrestler and an already stacked card. Hey, sure, why not? You know, I'm already here. Sure, why not? Yeah. Yeah, completely. I agree. I mean, Kogama's done nothing but prove that she's she's more than gotten rid of that six years ring rust. So I'm more than happy to see another match. It's it's going to be a tremendous match. You're you're not going to have a match with Azumi, Kagame, and Starlight Kid in the ring, and it not be good. As long as it adheres to the high speed style, I'm more than happy. And I know I'm a bit of a stickler for that, but when you've got a belt that has such a stipulation and you know has such a lineage of being high speed, um, I'm not a huge fan of when they try and you know make it just an ordinary match because it sort of takes away from the identity of the title, but. I'm a fan of this match. Um, I'm also a fan of this next match, the SWA Undisputed World Women's Championship and Five Star Grand Prix Right Challenge Certificate UWF Rules Match. Jesus, try saying that five times fast. Suri the Champion defeating Konami via knockout in 13 minutes and six seconds. I had no idea 
what UWF rules were before this match, or I had a very, very, very short knowledge, small knowledge of what was going on. This match, though, I don't know whether it was because it was so different. I was worried it was going to be boring because any sort of wrestling slash shoot wrestling thing that I've seen, I haven't been a massive fan of, but this, loved it. Absolutely loved it, Matt. Yeah, I mentioned how I'm a big fan of the All Japan style from the 90s. The Japanese, when done right, shoot style uh, is probably right under there as my second favorite style. And I'm a huge fan of the UWF. Anytime I hear somebody's doing a UWF rules match and it's people that I know that can do it, I feel like I'm a four-year-old that somebody said, Santa Claus just walked by. Or we're going to have ice cream for dinner. Uh, and I knew and I knew these two. I'm a huge, massive fan of the UWF, Takata, Maeda, uh, Minoru Suzuki when he had hair and he was handsome as hell, Funaki, <laughs> Takaraba, all those shoot-style guys I absolutely love. And you have these two, probably the two best that are in the company to do it. Obviously, Suri has the uh, MMA, UFC background. Konami's no slouch as well. And I thought this was the best match of the card. And probably top five or six starter match for me for the year from what I've seen. I still have a couple shows to go from beginning of the year that I haven't seen yet. Mm. But I thought this was tremendous. And again, you have a different style of match. So they both came out looking different. Konami came out and no shoes, how she used to, with the uh, with the, the Muay Thai uh, shorts. And Sherry came out, took the hood off, and cut her hair. I love the fact, and it was a really subtle change that if you look at pictures from when Suri was doing her MMA stuff, Konami has the exact same hairstyle. She's braided the back of it exactly like Suri used to, and it was just a subtle nod to her mentor. And, you know, ultimately, at the start of the year, one of the big trilogies we were looking forward to was Suri versus Konami. Now, obviously, with the banger that was Utami versus Suri, that's sort of been put on the back burner. But I was just the emotion of this match, the stiffness of the kicks, especially from Konami, who was throwing absolutely everything into those strikes, even more so than Suri. And it's not often we can say someone outstrikes Suri. Um, But I was there for every moment of drama, every rope break, every down for 10 seconds. And with the whole, you know, knockout thing, the whole last man standing match, you run the risk of it being incredibly boring because the match has to stop, the referee has to count to 10, and it ruins the ebb and the flow of the match. But I thought here they combated that very, very, very well. Um, Overall, didn't overstay its welcome. Its uniqueness had me intrigued from the get-go. It's one of those matches where the predictability of the result, to me, didn't hurt it. You know, you've got the the trainee still not being able to overcome the mentor, even though they got closer than they did at Budokan. You know, at one point, Suri only had one fall left, and I think Konami had three left. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. so you got to come from behind it almost if you're scoring it, yeah. Exactly. And the fact that Konami still let that fall, you know, slip between her fingers, it's a great... You know, it leaves it open for yet another match, which I'm very, very happy about. Yeah. And I believe in... Stardom history, this was the first shoot-style UWF match, uh, if I'm correct. I believe so. I believe someone will come out. Someone on our Discord will tell us that we're wrong. But as far as I'm aware, it is the first UWF rules. Hey, correct us if I'm wrong. That's what you're there for. And then we'll we'll go and watch it. Absolutely. Um, But overall, another 
excellent match. And of these briefcase defenses that, you know, I said at the top of the show that I wasn't overly a fan of, this is my favourite. And I think it's my favourite simply because of the unique stipulation, the way it fits both women's character and their backstory as well, when you consider everything going into Budokan and everything coming out of Budokan as well. Yeah, fantastic match. Loved it. Moving on to the semi-main then, which saw the white belt match with Tam Nakano defeating Mina Shirakawa at 20... Oh, God, I've lost it. Never mind. She won with the Twilight Dream um, in twenty in 17 minutes and 12 seconds. There we are. Got there in the end. Um, again, another interesting video package with... We're sort of documenting Mina's descent into madness somewhat. Um all stemming from the back of Tam not acknowledging her, not giving her the respect she deserves, not acknowledging her growth. You know, she broke out this, um, I think it's called the glamorous driver, Mina, um, you know, just to try and impress Tam, and Tam completely no-selling it. And Mina just wants a reaction from Tam. She wants something from Tam. She wants acknowledgement from Tam. And the fact that Tam doesn't do it drives Mina to come out to the ring in a completely different get-up. And the tears that she cries in the um, video package are embossed on her face with diamonds and the makeup, which I thought was a nice touch. What did you think of the match itself? What did you think about the transformation of Mina? What did you think of the overall impact on this match? So it's great. Even from the opening video package, like you said before, you kind of had Mina going through a stroll wearing her Sunday's best and kind of just building everything up. And again, uh, we talked about it earlier with the Unagi match. This is Tam taking care of her own. Unagi comes out and basically Starve does such a good job at this, leveling up. As soon as she comes out, I mean, she's completely different look, completely different outfit. And you've seen this happen over the last you know year, year and a half, two years. Look at everybody in Queen's Quest. Look how their outfits have changed. Even Mayu, when she was Red Belt Champion, she'd wear nothing but the red gear. And then she changed her, she dyed her hair. It's Starve does such a good job of freshening up their roster by giving them new looks. And again, leveling them up. And look at Mina has this completely new look. I'll be honest with you, Robert, about two or three hours after the show was over, I went on Twitter just to see what people were talking about. And my main thing is I wanted to see what people were talking about the UWF style match. And this was talked about more than anything, at least on my Twitter feed, than any result, just her entrance. Um, and wow. I, again, Tam, yeah, Tam does. The, so this obviously got the play it wanted to just from her entrance alone. Not the match, just the entrance alone. The match was really good. It got clunky towards the end, which I think which Tam saved. But Tam, again, gave Mina so much. Right from the rip, the bell rings. She gets hit with the rolling elbow in the back of the head, and she takes a, the implant DDT. So we're working the neck. And then Tam does some stuff where she's not selling as the match is going, not selling because she doesn't want to give Mina that satisfaction. And then they basically kind of sit down and kind of do, give each other the Orissa kicks. And then as it's getting towards the end of the match... Mina goes to give, I guess, Tam a powerbomb, and she drops. I don't know if she got blown up or if she got hurt or she got tired or what happened. But Tam, being a professional, being so good, basically flicks her hair in front of her face and in Mina's face, and you can tell she's calling the next spot to her. And from there on out, Mina just seemed like she was distraught. Again, I don't know if she had a concussion or she got tired or blown up. But even when she was trying to pick Tam up for like a reverse DDT, she couldn't get her up all the way. And I think I just got to a point where, me, where Tam was like, I got it. Don't worry about it. I'll finish it. She hits the uh, the screwdriver 
and she hits the uh, the Twilight Dream, and and that was the finish. And a lot, a lot of people I talked to was like, oh, it got clunky at the end, which I see their point, but there was Tam from someone that's been in the ring that has been in this position before, both getting blown up towards the end of the match or having my opponent blown up, where you have to say, okay, let's take a breath, let's figure it out, let's get to the finish as quickly as possible, making the most sense as possible and safely as possible. And I thought Tam did a great job covering the back end two or three minutes of the match, which just goes to show how good Tam is in any situation. Agreed. Um, One thing that I've seen, I saw a criticism a couple of days ago, actually, about how Mina started the match, you know, crazy and trying to elicit this reaction and then sort of let it go throughout the match and then brought it back at the end. I disagree. I think it was there... I think it was there throughout. I think, you know, she started the match so differently because she wanted the reaction out of time. Then she's getting upset and rash in the middle of the match because she's not get Tammy's ignoring it. Tammy's no selling it. And then at the end, it's just exhaustion. It's, you know, I've run out of ideas, which, you know, she's the only one of these uh, championship challenges that's embrace that ugly side that Tam spoke about when she when she fought Saya the first time. You know, I'm willing to accept my ugly side in order to keep this belt, in order to do the hard yards, to keep the white belt, no matter what it takes. Are you willing to do that? I mean, is the only one at the moment who's willing to do that. Is Was it an ugly finish? Yeah, fairly. You know, I, I think the chances are something happened during that powerbomb attempt, you know, her mouth was bust open. The chances are she is, she's a little bit woozy, but you can also say that her attempts at the glamorous driver, Mina, um, it was due to exhaustion. It was due to, you know, both emotionally and physically. So it can play into the story. Um, is it Tam's best title defense? No. Did I prefer the Yanagi defense? Yes. But at least Mina was trying to do something different. At least they were both trying to do something different rather than just a straight title defense ahead of what will be a very, very good straight title defense against Saya come, uh, come Sumo Hall. Yeah, agreed. I, I see your point. Again, this is one of those matches people like, people didn't, the, the, uh, you know, just are, excuse me, some people liked, some people didn't like. But again, I just thought that this showed Tam and a completely different level. Obviously, Mina with the uh, the, the leveling up with the costume change. But again, just I just can't. I actually went back and watched this match twice. Just how she was able to cover up that tail end of the match just really shows just what a professional uh, and how good Tam is. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. And it's elevated Mina and Yunagi. I mean, I don't think they are on the level of the white belt yet. Neither of them. But to give them that stage, especially on these B-show pay-per-views, to to elevate them to that sort of stage, to you know, so that the, the spotlight is on them somewhat. It's done them yeah. a world of good. Um, yeah, didn't hurt. Elevate both their games up, which in turn elevates Cosmic Angels up. So um, Cam knew what she was doing. Exactly. Exactly. We move to the main event then, which was the World of Stardom title match between Utami Hayashista and Micah, with Utami winning with the BT bomb at 23 minutes and 43 seconds. Now, um, this is a very, very, very good match. I have no issue with this in the match. I will say of their trilogy this year, this is possibly my least favourite but we'll get into that in a minute. What about you, Matt? What did you think of this? 
You know what? I mean, I, I thought it was good. Don't get me wrong. As far as the three of them, I don't know. I might put this one second. Obviously, the stakes are you know higher because it's you know it's for the title, and we're getting towards the end of the year for the big sumo house show. But I thought it was good. There was a lot of good storytelling. The the, the dueling superplexes I thought was good. I thought that uh, Mina started the match off really really well with uh, I'm sorry not Mina. Uh, Micah started the match really really well with the chain wrestling and almost like a little bit of like catch wrestling, catch catch can wrestling where she was kind of hand fighting to try to get to the neck, and then eventually she did a. Uh, she did a fireman's roll into a double wrist lock, which I thought was basically showing that she's trying to get her in a submission. And ultimately, like her one big falsy, she got her in the Katahai Jame, the Taz mission, which I thought was really cool. I haven't seen that uh, in a long, long time. I thought that was that was pretty cool. Um, I thought that uh, Tan, uh, Utami's clotheslines getting towards the end to chop down this big tree were just thunderous. Like she did almost like a Kenta Kabashi style burning lariat to get towards the end. I thought that was, that was really good. And uh, yeah, she hits the hijack bomb for the win. I thought it was a, a uh, overall solid match, you know, shocker, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, in ring quality wise, you know, I love both you, Tommy and Micah. There's, there's no way this was going to disappoint. I think we talked about that sense of predictability and this is, this is the one that it hurt for me because, you know, no matter how, on top of the match Micah was getting, no matter, you know, the the offense she was throwing, I knew that she wasn't going to win. And it took me out of it a little bit. However, what they did here was tremendous. That moment where Micah throws that last clothesline and literally just collapses into Utami. And Utami just stands there, looks in her face, and then beheads her with a lariat. You know, those German suplexes, um, one of which, Jesus Christ, Michael landed high on her head. Um, and she just manages to get a hand on the ropes. And we get this brilliant camera angle of just the glassy-eyed expression of Micah, who has got no idea where she is at this point. And Utami just screaming at the sky. And then out of nowhere, Micah hits this drop kick, but hasn't got the energy to follow up like an adrenaline thing, just automatic response. Absolutely amazing. I love the callbacks to their five-star Grand Prix match. Um, you know, the working of the arm of Utami. I just think it was hurt slightly by the predictability. And that, for me, is why it falls below their other two. Their, their five-star match is one of my matches of the year. Such a fantastic limb match. Their 10th anniversary show from back in January, I liked a lot more than other people, simply because... It elevated Micah. It elevated Micah to that level. It proved that Micah could go at that level. There was a little bit of story of the rashness of the rookie, if you will. Whereas here it felt very fillery without a story to supersede it. Um, yeah. yeah, I see it. You make good points there. I'm not too big on the, the predictability. Again, that really doesn't bother me. But yeah. then again, that just shows you why the five-star and the Cinderella tournament are both so good because it's just like, well, it's not for the title. So you can see the champion losing, you know, match one, match four, match five, you know, a draw here or there. So you kind of maybe on the edge of your seat a little more. And New Japan does that, you know, very well, uh, very good as well. And all Japan in the 90s, you know, I, I know I keep going to that drum, but those tournaments are when the title is not on the line. It makes the the matches, the, the championship matches, the, the champions going in the match a little bit more vulnerable because you don't know if they're going to lose. And if they lose, then it gives, the, you know, the person that beat them an opportunity at the title. And then, you know, as we saw here, 
you know, gives Micah the opportunity to main event, you know, one of the, one of the shows. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that brings to the end our Tokyo Super Wars review. We ended with um, Suri coming out and basically saying, I don't want there to be a time limit on this match because I want there to be a winner and Utami agreeing. So we're probably going to get a very long main event. Um, I'd be surprised if it goes less than 40. Um, Overall, though, this show... A solid show, a really solid show. I don't think there was a particularly bad match on the card. I think everyone who came into the show came out of it looking better. Um, what about you? Overall thoughts, Matt? Yeah, B plus, solid show. Went mm. by real quick. It's not one of these, you know, four hour shows that kind of just dragged. That stardom is really good. They know that their talent that needs a little bit more work. They're not going to put them out there for fifteen or twenty minutes. And then they uh, they they put the you know longer the the better wrestlers uh, towards the end and give them more time so they can play out their stories. So, but going on to the uh, yes, yeah, Siri comes out for the challenge. And did you see the announcement that started made uh, earlier earlier today with that match? Oh, I don't know. Did I go on? Do tell me. Well, the, there's two things that they announced. Well, they announced the complete card for Sumo Hall. And yes. They announced obviously this obviously this match is no time limit. But it's also the red belt versus the SWA belt, no time limit, winner take all. Wow. Okay, that'd be interesting. That adds a wrinkle to it. Yeah, so you kind of wonder what they're going to do there. And they also announced that it's going to be a tag match. Uh, Takumi Aroha will be teaming with Mayu, and they'll be taking on the team of Hazuki and Momo Watanabe, which is kind of weird because you have two members of Stars in there on opposite teams, and then you have Momo in there, and we don't know what's going to happen you know, between the 18th and the 29th with Momo. But regardless, that's an awesome match. That's a fantastic match. I've actually got the full card here, so I'll just quickly run it down. Um, we open with a five-way. Lady C versus Wakasukiyama versus Saki Kashima versus Fuki and Death versus Rina. Um, we've then got the Future of Stardom Championship match between Ruaka and Hanan. Uh, the high-speed three-way, which we spoke about earlier, Starlight Kid versus Kagama versus Azumi. We've then got six-woman tag, Donna Del Mondo, Micah, Himika, and Natsupoi versus the Cosmic Angel team of Mina, Yunagi, and Mei Sakurai. The Konami, the Konami, I keep saying Kogama, the Konami lever match versus Julia, which is also Julia's return match, unless, of course, she returns before this, which she hasn't at the moment. Um, the tag match, which you mentioned, Kamiro and Mayu versus Hazuki and Momo. And then, of course, the two title matches, Wonder of Stardom title match between Tam and Saya. And then the World of Stardom and SWA World Championship winner take all no time limit match uh, between Utami and Suri. This, of course, will be Utami's 10th title defense, which at the moment she's third in the all-time list of successful title defences, which I believe only puts her behind the reins of Io Shirai in terms of successful defences, which is fairly impressive when you think about it. Two of them, that's crazy. 14 and 10, that's crazy. Yep, it's it's bizarre. So if Utami wins this match, it puts her as joint second in successful title defences which when you consider that when she first took the belt, some people thought she'd be a transitional champion, it'd be a quick flip-flop to Julia and so on and so forth. I don't think anyone foresaw just how good this reign was going to be and just how successful this reign was going to be. 
Not only that, but she beat the icon of stardom, which is, you know, it could be good or it could be bad because one, you're beating you're basically kind of like what, what happened with Okada in, in 2012. You know, you're beating the flag bearer when he beat Tanahashi. So it's like you're beating, you know, our person. But at the same time, if it goes well, that's a heck of a way to start off your run. And obviously, look what happened to Okada. Look what, you know, a year later where we're at with Utami. So obviously, Stardom saw something that a majority of people didn't see in Utami a year ago. And she's obviously filing on all cylinders. They gave her the ball and she's scoring points. God, yes. Absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, you can't fault her for what she's done. She's just had fantastic title match after fantastic title match. However, I'm just going to end on one last announcement simply because I've just realized that both me and Matt said that we weren't going to go long and we've gone nearly two and a half hours. So <laughs> we're. Uh, I just want to quickly say that the Stardom Cast End of Year Awards will be making a reappearance at the end of this year. Obviously, with the last Stardom show being the 29th of December, it might be a little bit later so what i was thinking was currently i am going to take the polls and put them up on the 31st of december new year's eve and then that'll give everyone a week or so to vote and we'll do the um final awards on maybe the 9th of january but again tbd but i just wanted to make everyone aware that they will be happening again this year and overall, that is it. So thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast, Matt. We really do appreciate it. And thank you for agreeing to be the guest, the, the guest host. The actual co-host is what I meant, not the guest host. Sorry, it's ignore that. I'll co-host. I'll, I'll, I'll take whatever I can get. Like I said, I'm not a greedy person. I'll take whatever I can get. Ah, thank you guys so much. And uh, like I said, I'm still, you know, sorry if I mispronounced any names and uh, any of the moves. I, I, I'm doing a pretty, fairly good job of taking notes and uh, refreshing myself, but I, I promise I will get better with each and every show. So I, I hope you guys enjoyed it. And by all means, uh, hit me up on social media and give me some feedback. Uh, where can they find you on social media, Matt? Just on Twitter and Instagram. Just search Matt Turner OF, and uh, you'll see me there. Anything that anybody wants to talk about, whether it's wrestling, whether it's uh, you know stuff to get in shape, uh, we you guys want to talk about comic books, you want to talk about loud music. I'm a big fan of heavy metal music. You know anything that you want to talk about? You have some any questions about? stardom or any feedback from uh, from this podcast by all means i am i'm open ears uh you can check out the podcast at at the stardom cast on twitter subscribe wherever you get your podcast some really good things coming uh, in the next couple of weeks uh we'll be back next sunday having a look at osaka super wars um it will have only been released the day before but fingers crossed we'll at least have some thoughts on the card and things like that and we'll also look ahead in a little bit more detail at the Sumo Hall show. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best-kept secret, and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... 
Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.